Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is proud to be a WGA signatory company, and they fully stand by the WGA, SAG, and their members in their fight for extremely reasonable standards. Accordingly, they are not accepting script or treatment submissions at this time, but both William and Zena Rush are available via email, free of charge, to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Ahead of the strike... William Rush has individually produced numerous projects, including Coffee with Baba, Day by Day, They Slay, Before, Pack is Here, Abiquiu, The Winemaker, and Where Do You Draw the Line? Two feature films, Group and Immersion, are slated for release this fall. Absolutely no picket lines will be crossed and no collective bargaining agreements will be violated in the making of either of these films. And very generously, Original Cinematic is providing all Podmortem patrons with a special link to view these films. If arrangements can be made, they will even schedule a virtual or in-person screening for our patrons. We cannot thank Original Cinematic enough for their contribution to our show and the horror community as a whole. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the Metropole Theater discussing the 1985 supernatural horror film, Demons. This film was directed by Lamberto Bava from a screenplay by Bava, Dario Argento, Dardano Sacchetti, and Franco Farini. A collaboration of some of the greatest minds in Italian horror, Demons provides an exciting experience for its audience. With its dazzling lighting and cinematography, impressive special effects and imagery, pulsing score and soundtrack, and a campy yet aesthetically pleasing atmosphere, this film would achieve financial success in Italy, become well-regarded as a cult classic, and spawn a sequel the following year. This film was suggested to us by friends of the show, Gory Bits, Lala Thomas, Donna Eason, Miguel Myers, ATX, Lee Thompson, and Beth Bauer. We want to thank them all for their continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, Demons, what were your first impressions on the film? So I had never uh, heard of this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of Demon Knight. Uh, this is not that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but this this was a very first watch, and um, this movie is wild as fuck. <laughs> um, I'm assuming there was a lot of influence uh, when they made this movie, like what they really loved, and like because there's a lot going on here, mm-hmm. and 
there and I appreciated some of the shots and I was like, okay. I was like, that reminds me of Evil Dead or or uh Return of the Living Dead or what I was like there I was like this is this is really good. Some of it's kind of, you know, like you like you said campy, but I <laughs> feel like it is a very well done B horror Italian movie. Fantastic a lot of the stuff that they do. I would recommend anyone to watch this movie. Mhm. I I fucking really enjoyed this. Like it's a good it's this is a good turn your brain off and just enjoy what the fuck's happening. Don't ask any questions, just put it on, light up a doobie or get you a drink or nothing at all and get you some uh, like fruit punch or something. Some tea, tea's good. You Coffee. Know, stay hydrated. Lemonade. Yes, water. <laughs> <laughs> but watch this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. I had never seen it before either. Um, I knew that this one was going to be interesting because the people that were requesting it were requesting it with their entire chests. Mm. Um, and it did not disappoint <laughs> in that regard. I don't know exactly what I was expecting. I've never seen anything by this Bava before, mm. but the name itself kind of invokes a vibe. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I kind of, I feel like I already know kind of what I'm getting myself into, but it ended up giving me a little more, like you said, Return of the Living Dead than mm -hmm. what I expected. This is just a ride. Once it starts, it does not stop. It is honestly a blast. Um, and I had mentioned something about a subplot that I was like, you take this out and nothing changes. Like, <laughs> So it's funny to me that this was involved at all. And John Paul had said, um, oh, well, it's about expectation. And so that made me think almost every aspect of this film is subverting what the audience is expecting. Because as certain characters are introduced, it's like, oh, I already know. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's, it's just a blast. It's ridiculous the practical effects are on fucking point. Mm -hmm. They're so good. Um, the dubbing always, when the mouths are English and the words are English, but it doesn't sync up, it always throws me off a little bit. But um, They're doing their best. They're doing their best. <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's nothing that is like, it's not going to ruin it or anything. But uh, no, it's it's absolutely wild. And the 80s fashions are just, oh, man. It's, that's yeah. always a treat. And the fucking soundtrack. <laughs> <That>. <laughs> it's just... I really went in expecting something specific. And this, again, like I was saying, subverted my expectation in a really great way. I think that's very fair. And I definitely agree. Mm -hmm. Going into this, all I really knew was the poster and I knew who directed it and who produced it. Right. And so when you have that, it, it's very interesting because, of course, for me, the son of Mario Bava yeah. and Dario Argento made a movie together. Yeah. You know, and of course this is before I knew about them working together so many times previously, but having that, you have a certain thing in mind of what you think it's going to be. Right. And it is not that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I mean, there is that flair of Italian horror. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, it feels far more like an Argento than a Mario Bava if we're going towards influence. Mm -hmm. Because this has the feeling of a lot of later Argento to me. Okay. Um, but there is an aspect of the film that feels much more Bava and it feels like almost like a little homage to his father in a weird way. Prob I mean, probably. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, there's just a ton of 
influence there, but there's also a ton of influence from a lot of American horror films. Yeah. And there's a lot of homages and references. And so it's just like, I don't know. I just was so fascinated every second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like you said, with expectations, you don't know what the hell is going to happen next. Not yeah. at all. And I will say one thing that is very interesting to me because it creates this dichotomy for me. The film is gorgeous mm-hmm. with the cinematography, with the lighting, with the camera movement. Right. But it is grotesque. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the special effects. And <laughs> honestly, the campiness is wild with this aesthetic. Yeah. To put them together, it feels very fascinating. Again, it's it's that subversion of you're like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, just caught off guard. No, it was a great pairing. I was very, because uh, there is the colors, like you said, but it's I don't think that it's used like they usually do in giallo films. But it was there, because there's a few times I was like, oh, look, there's a light. there's one shot where i won't give anything away but there are eyes involved yeah very interesting lighting and i was like i don't even like it doesn't even feel like this is the same movie but it's amazing like it is incredible yeah i think and that's it's difficult to live up to mario bava Uh when you're lumberto bava Mm -hmm. but i feel like he is so capable as a director right there are so many sequences and so many shots that are so there is one sequence i'll just say the air duct okay that i was like this is so brilliantly shot no that was good (laughs) yeah when we get to it i do want to talk about it because that i stopped and i was like okay I you you got me. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, you got me. Yeah, I won't even sit here and lie. I was like, you got me. That was great. There's some. It's funny to me because the element of it, the way that it's done, it oddly felt like kind of a creepy pasta situation. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it did. <laughs> Where I was like, oh well, now it's you yeah. Know, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I loved it so much, but I think that was the thing is that um, whenever it starts and we get the tone of what the film's going to be, yeah, it feels like. It, in a weird way, I'm like, oh, this was made for me. The way that it looks, yeah. mm-hmm. the way that it feels. And as it continues and takes on this kind of a B-movie kind of tone, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, this was still made for me. Like, yeah. you haven't <laughs> lost me. It's just, it feels it feels very comfortable. Right, right. And it feels like a film that if you grew up with it, this one stays with you your whole life. Oh, yeah. I And I know at the beginning, see, for me, it was a little different because I remember I texted you and asked you all, each individual I was like, have you guys seen this? Cause yeah. the beginning of it for me, I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm not really feeling this too much, but it was just cause I was like, okay, the, the opening, the, well, I know we'll get to it, but the music is a little different than what's happening on screen. <laughs> so I was like, I, yeah. I was like, I'm just a little confused here. I was like, I don't, I don't that know. should have been the first yeah. clue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I will say, um, we talked about, um, homages and influences mm. on Bava, for the film. Okay. But I also feel like there's some influences from this film that I see in other people's work, mm. specifically Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. yeah. Because there are a few shots that are very reminiscent from a few shots in Inglorious Bastards. Oh, all right, all right. And I was like, wow, you know? Yeah. Having never seen this film before, I never made that parallel. Yeah. yeah. Or the correlation. I will say the film is not perfect. We've said it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that kind of, and it doesn't fall down, 
but no. there are certain aspects narratively mm-hmm. where there are things that are introduced and you're like oh shit this is gonna come home to roost it does not come no. home to roost. yeah no. no or like they they will shoot a character in a particular way and you're like oh they're they're bad and yes! you're like oh i guess they're fine yeah. <laughs> <But that's> <laughs> oh you're oh, yeah. scared too yeah that's you're as scared I'm, as i that's, am yeah. that's oh, the yeah. subversion that's what i'm talking about yes because i feel like all of that is intentional mm-hmm. you're supposed to think oh i got this all yeah. figured out but no bitch like you no. have no idea what's gonna happen that, that's so funny because i i told your sister too before you got here i was like uh, about that yeah. yes, Same thing. yes. <laughs> clearly I was yeah. like, you could not have but convinced me that they no. weren't behind this it's like where's the heel turn yeah, yeah that, <laughs> never never, <happened>. never. <laughs> But I, 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 of course, as you had said, the the group that we meet later that honestly, you can lose that completely mm-hmm. and we're just fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing. It doesn't. There there are some neat shots in their sequences, but at the same time, it's not worth it. Yeah. No, they, yeah. It adds nothing narratively. No. But it is fine. No, yeah. Yes. But I, I did want to talk about the production of this film. Uh, I read an article in Fangoria from 1985 and I also read an excerpt from Italian Gothic horror films by Roberto Corti. So much information there. Mm-hmm. Not much information anywhere else. Yeah, I yeah. C- I was struggling. <laughs> I couldn't find anything. Yeah. It was kind of shocking. Yeah, I had finished my script uh, Thursday afternoon, and I did a little and I or looked a little research, and I think I you had text too, and you're like I couldn't really find anything. Yeah, and what I found was the same shit, and I was like, which was very little. We had to buy a book yeah. <laughs> just for a this. Book. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you guys remember those? Yeah. <laughs> but I want to start in 1965. Bava Lamberto Bava actually got his start working with his father on all of his films from 1965 to 1980. Okay. Oh wow. He was his assistant director until Mario Bava passed away in 1980. But his first solo film came in 1980 called Macabre. Very sweet story of Mario Bava watching it before he passed away Aww. and saying that he can finally die oh my God. Yeah. because it's going to live on. Okay. After Mario Bava passes away, he makes another film in 1983 called A Blade in the Dark. It's a giallo film. All right. It sounds like a yeah. giallo. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but after this, he kind of flounders a little bit and he kind of languishes in a bit of B-movie obscurity in a weird way. Okay. So... He's still trying to find a way to make his big break. And so what he decides to do is he decides to talk to the screenwriter, Dardano Sacchetti. And Sacchetti actually wrote The Cat of Nine Tales for Dario Argento, and he wrote A Bay of Blood for Mario Bava. Oh, okay. And so what he wants to do is he wants to kind of follow in the same vein of his father with Black Sabbath mm-hmm. and create a three-film anthology. Ah, all right. So he has Sacchetti write three stories. And he eventually realizes that he only likes one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's demons. Yeah. And so what he plans to do is he's going to make this one segment into a feature-length film. And so Bava and Sacchetti write a 25-page treatment. They send it to the producer, Fabrizio De Angelis. And this guy often worked with Lucio Fulci. And whenever they send him the script... Angelisa's idea of saving money was instead of, because there's a very, very fascinating film within a film situation. Mm-hmm. His idea to save money is to use old segments from Fulci films instead of letting them shoot something new. 
<laughs> and so they were like, well, that's not going to work at all. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's all I got. So. <laughs> and so they talked to another producer friend of theirs and they're like, well, why don't you guys just produce it yourselves? But then they kind of worried about the financial risk of doing this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a director by the name of Dario Argento mm. is coming off of the success of a film called Phenomena. And so it's very financially successful. And so he decides that he wants to get back into producing films like he did for George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Now, is this the John Travolta one? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little bit different. (laughs) (laughs) But... The, the problem that Argento was having was that all the scripts that people were sending them, he hated. Okay. And so he's like, I want to produce, so I want to produce something good, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. We're That's having. the drawback. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, well, why don't I call up Lamberto Bava? Mm-hmm. Because Bava and Argento previously worked together on Inferno in 1980, and Tenebrae in 1982. He was his assistant director like he was for his father. Okay. Oh. And so he calls him and he says, bring me an idea and we'll make it immediately. That's exactly what he says to him. Mm-hmm. So Bava remembers demons, of course. And so he starts the pitch of telling him what this movie's about. Ten words into the pitch, Argento's like, let's make it. That would scare the no, shit right. out of me. <laughs> like, are you sure? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I just finish talking about it? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you're going to love all of it? I don't know. <laughs> there's a there's a gang of punks later yeah. that we're not yeah. sure about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but and uh, it was interesting reading this book because there's some differing opinions on writing where certain people came up with certain ideas and stuff mm. like that. With four writers, a lot of people are kind of demonizing the others or taking credit for different parts. Yeah. So it's very complicated. I'll get into some of the differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it just seems kind of petty. Yeah. yeah. But the rest of it is kind of interesting to see what the film could have been in certain incarnations. Okay. But all I will say is that I think I love this movie. <laughs> 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 now, before we give this film two free tickets, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's put on the mask. So the film begins with tense synth chords, and in white text on a black screen, we get the title, Demony, or Demons. The story that I read in this book regarding how they came up with this title, mm-hmm. very conflicting. I prefer Lamberto Bava's story. He had said that he was in his father's library after he passed away, mm-hmm. and he saw the bright red binding of Dostoevsky's book, Demons. He said he was very struck by it and how it appeared. Mm-hmm. And so the way that it felt to him was that his father gave them one last piece of the puzzle. Aww. Oh, Okay. But if you ask the writer, Sacchetti, he goes, oh, oh Argento came up with that. <laughs> and that's the whole story. So Just suck all the magic yeah. out of it. <laughs> but we cut to a tunnel where the lights of a subway train pierce through the darkness as it rumbles down the track and into view. So this seems like a visual kind of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Of two bright lights. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> But after it passes us by briefly, we're taken inside. We're past a group of commuters and to the sound of the main theme of the film, the camera settles in on Cheryl, played by Natasha Ove. 
So this theme. I was about to say that <laughs> theme though. It is. It's fantastic. Yes. It, it it's it's cool. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't. It didn't work for me here. It was surprising. Yeah. I it, think I think the the orchestral portions of it do work with the beat in the background. Yeah. But the parts that are like yeah, that's yeah. The, it's like what? Uh, what is maybe going on? Yeah. <laughs> maybe save that. Yeah. We're not like, feeling that energy. Maybe right at now. this point, if there was a more subdued version of it. Yeah. And then later on we get the full, you know, yeah, madness. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of like because my note was that um, this is it's very aggressive at this point. <laughs> it is. And plus, even the ant sitting at the end of the, the row, he's not doing anything. He's just chilling. So. Leave the ant yeah. alone. Yeah. Like, I'm very lonely. He's yeah. commuting. <laughs> I will say um, the music was done by Claudio Simonetti of Goblin. Okay. And we talk about Goblin a lot. Mm-hmm. Goblin scored Suspiria, mm-hmm. Inferno, tons of Argento films. That's what to me. This film really does feel more Argento than Bava, but I don't have a language for Lamberto Bava yet. Right. Okay. And so I, I'm just trying to pick apart and see where I can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will also say that the music also did kind of remind me of the opening of Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah. So I get where you're That's coming what I'm from. Saying. Yeah. The vibes are it's very close yeah. to me. But I, I will say that the theme is very much of its time of the mid 80s. <laughs> in the best way. In the best yeah, way. No, yeah. And it kind of does in this way set you up for the excess of what's to come. Yes. Yeah. It just maybe doesn't fit on the subway car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, is somebody listening to a boombox or something? Yeah. What the yeah. fuck is like, happening? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Turns yeah, it off. Turn it <laughs> But after peering up at a pink-haired traveler and panning across several other passengers, Cheryl looks around the car and through the window. And much like we were talking about the fashion on this train. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's my next note. I'm just admiring the fashion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Cheryl clutches a book of sheet music, Bela Bartok's Microcosmos. But as darkness once again surrounds that yellow car in the tunnel, in an almost subliminal moment... She sees what appears to be the reflection of a man in a silver mask covering half his face staring back at her. This is the man in black played by Michaela Suave. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> we can't just <laughs> breeze past yeah, that. <laughs> Even she looks around like, did anybody what? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I thought it was fucking Kano from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no shit, yeah. It's like, he doesn't have a red eye. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here? And I will say again, this is something Cheryl seeing this man. Yeah. These subliminal like visions. Mm-hmm. Not really. No. no. <laughs> right. Doesn't really come it's up much. It's like, no. oh, okay. I guess it's part of yeah, it. Yeah, all right. One thing that's very interesting is the guy that plays the man in black, Michaela Suave. He was the second unit director for this film. Oh, okay. Oh. He also worked with Argento on Tenebrae, Phenomena, and Opera. Oh, very nice. Then he would go on to direct a film called The Church, which started off as the third film in this series. Oh, okay. Damn. So this guy's busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's very busy, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. Yeah. But as the train exits the tunnel, passing another car on the opposing tracks and the view through the window is brightened by sunlight and surrounding trees, Cheryl looks very puzzled. She silently leans forward to get the attention of the people in front of her, but stops herself and settles back into her seat. I would have asked. Yeah. Yeah. Does that happen on this train every time? (laughs) (laughs) That a man that just lives in the tunnel? What's going on? But as the train nears the station, Cheryl watches as a blonde woman with a checkered undercut stands up to depart the train, 
and she decides to follow her lead. As the car pulls to a stop, and standing a few people behind first man exiting subway played by Lumberto Bava. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Cheryl steps onto the platform. The subway car passes her by and the score ceases. Cheryl glances in both directions past the stone archways and under large hanging lights, and she notices that the station is almost completely clear of people. I was like, they cleared out fast. Yeah. I would be running. I don't like (laughs) like, I don't like that at all. I wanted to call out the station is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. This is Heidelberger Platz in Berlin where the movie was filmed, the exteriors. Mm -hmm. There's so much of Berlin in this film that's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, But I just love the way that this station looks. And it is wild how quickly it clears out, like you're saying. Yeah. And it really does lend itself to something supernatural. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) But Cheryl walks slowly. And upon hearing footsteps echoing behind her, she turns around to find that there's absolutely no one there. She's completely alone. Mm-mm. But as she turns to continue down the platform, the footsteps grow louder and closer. And as she looks over her shoulder, she sees rounding the corner, the man in black, his face half clad in that metal mask and carrying a mesh satchel of gold colored paper. He's like the Phantom of the Rock Opera. <laughs> <laughs> You're very proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the main theme picks up again as Cheryl briskly jogs through an archway and onto an escalator where she stands very patiently until she reaches the top. I'm like, go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can walk on this. (laughs) You'll never catch me on this. (laughs) (laughs) But as soon as she does reach the top, the man in black is somehow already there. He steps directly in front of her, startling her. She gasps, but he reaches into his satchel held by a black-gloved hand and gives her one of the papers. It's a ticket to the Metropole Theater for tonight at 6 p.m. You dropped your wallet. God damn. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I was asking. I'm to chase you for three blocks. <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but without a word, the man walks away, interacting with a few people who now enter the station and handing them tickets to the theater as well. How foolish would you feel? Oh, man. <laughs> I'd feel dumb. But you know what? That's not the way to sell whatever you're selling. I know. No. I thought about when we went to Frightmare this year and we were handing out business cards and we were trying to meet people. Next year, I'll just do it like this. I'll just stalk <laughs> behind people, mm-hmm. hand them a card, and then walk away without a word. That's what that's. But, but you also need. Yeah. I'll play it on my phone. It doesn't work without it. But Cheryl shakes her head, embarrassed at the whole running away terrified thing, and she approaches the man after he hands out a few more tickets. She asks him if she can have another ticket for a friend of hers who's waiting for her. The man hands her a ticket without even looking at her, which, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, to me, again, it's setting up something with the man in black that I don't think is really <laughs> delivered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I mean, he's delivering these invitations. True. Yeah, but, but that's, that's where it stops. That's yeah. the extent of it. <laughs> I think, because for me, honestly, doesn't it feel like he's almost in a trance? Yeah. Like he's been made to do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but when she asks him if he's dressed like this to promote the film that they'll be showing... The man pauses for a moment before just walking away again without an answer. It's like, I'm a robot, dude. (laughs) Look at my face. (laughs) (laughs) Right, this is real. (laughs) (laughs) 
But outside the station, Kathy, played by Paola Cozzo, stands waiting impatiently for Cheryl, checking her watch and exhaling sharply. After making her way through the crowded station, Cheryl bounds out of the station, calling out to her friend and apologizing for being late. Kathy tells her that she's always late and that their teacher, Mrs. Buckles, is going to lose her mind on her. Not Mrs. Buckles. <laughs> <laughs> they go to a clown college. Yeah. <laughs> We're not just breezing past that. Because <laughs> they say her name like three times. Yeah. They're like, Mrs. Buckles is going to be really mad. <laughs> But Cheryl says that Mrs. Buckles would be mad <laughs> even if they were early. But as they walk down the street together, Cheryl hands Kathy one of the tickets that the man in black gave her. And Kathy points out that the movie that they're showing doesn't even have a title. Cheryl surmises that it must be a sneak preview to get a reaction from the public. But Kathy also realizes that she's never even heard of the Metropole Theater before. Regardless, Cheryl suggests that they ditch Mrs. Buckles <laughs> and just head to the theater for the show. And Kathy jokes that Cheryl is leading them astray. That's probably why she yells at y'all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you're skipping class yeah. again. <laughs> but that night, the blue neon light of the Metropole Theater flickers on in the dark, while inside, the lights slowly illuminate the lobby in large pillars. We see movie posters for The Terminator and Creep Show. Yes! Yeah. I was like, shout out to George Romero. Yeah. Yes! But the camera glides around a red motorcycle resting atop a platform. On it sits a leather-clad samurai, a katana over his shoulder, and a silver mask clutched in his other hand. The mask appears to be the full version of the mask worn by the man in black. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Water drips outside of a bathroom where Ingrid, played by Nicoletta Elmi, admires herself in a mirror before snagging a flashlight and heading out. She's feeling herself. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know why she's dressed like a sexy elf, but <laughs> I, I have my eye on her. Yes. Yeah. You're bad. Yeah. You're bad. You're mm. orchestrating something or you're a pawn of something. My, I've got my eye on you. Yeah. I will say even the way that she's looking at herself, there's something diabolical. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. obviously. Absolutely. Yes. You're behind this. <laughs> and you're the only one here. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. That That's what it was for me. It's like, oh, so you're helping whatever's happening. Yeah. Yes. You work here? Yeah. Yes. Um, about the actress, though. <laughs> <laughs> she was actually in Argento's Deep Red 10 years prior. Oh, all, all right. right. So I think that's really cool about what I see a lot in this film is there's a lot of people in front of the camera mm -hmm. and behind the camera that are just mainstays of these filmmakers. Yeah. And I love it's that. it's wonderful. And we talk about that a lot with directors that kind of have their people. And, yeah. it, you know, when you find a group that you can make magic with, why not? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Podmortem. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> but we get an exterior shot of the massive Metropole Theater, the box office and the large windows of a balcony just under the neon sign. So this was a real theater in Berlin, mm -hmm. and it was built in 1905, and it has such beautiful architecture. Yeah. I did also want to point out, because I have to, there's a film called Wings of Desire from 1987, mm -hmm. and there's a portion of the film that it is shot at a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds concert that was filmed in this theater. Ah, oh, okay. That's great. <laughs> I just had to point that out. But Corti in the book said that the name of the theater was meant to be an homage to Fritz Lang's Metropolis and German Expressionism. Okay. But 
from my research, I'm not saying he's wrong. <laughs> the film's been called The Metropole since 1951. Oh. No. So it's not like Bava and Argento were like, this will be The Metropole. Yeah. The name changed later and then it changed back to The Metropole. But I mean, that, that was that was like after World War II. Right. Oh, okay. But I mean, it's still cool. <laughs> <laughs> but the exteriors were shot in Berlin, as I said. Yeah. The interiors were actually shot at a what they called in Fangoria a derelict theater near the studios they shot other portions of the film at in Italy. Oh, mm. okay, okay. And so there's a lot of back and forth, but you never feel taken out. Yeah. No, not at all. But the camera finds Cheryl and Kathy in a slow zoom at dusk, and they stumble upon the Metropole. I thought it was funny because when they walked up, it kind of shows a little bit of the building next to it. So I was like, girl, that's a 7-Eleven. Oh, the one next to it. I thought she said you knew where we were going. Yeah, <laughs> well, we can get snacks before the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, put them in your oh, purse. Yeah, 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 come on. Yeah, I mean, I know the tickets are free. But <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're struggling in these streets. Um, we're students. I, yeah. I thought it was funny because it was bright and sunny when they started their voyage here. Yeah. And now it's nighttime. I that thank you for saying that because I forgot that when I was watching this I was like damn it took y'all that long to get over there well and they're like where the fuck did you <laughs> I've never seen this place before yeah, it's just, they did well, say that. Yeah. the movie I'm hasn't, trying Cheryl <laughs> <laughs> the movie hasn't started yet so I mean y'all could have gone to class and then gone to the movie if you're gonna get lost yeah yeah, oh, yeah that's true Miss Buckles is like where are yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> you guys are expelled I think. <laughs> But as they walk towards the entrance, Kathy stops Cheryl, worried that it might be a horror film that they're being shown tonight because <gasps> she hates them. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Annoyed, Cheryl just grabs Kathy's arm, saying that what she hates is missing the start of the film. It's like, says the person who's always late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get it together, Cheryl. It's the only thing we know about you, Cheryl, and you're already... <laughs> But we pan across the lights of the surrounding buildings to find the Metropole once again, standing menacing in silhouette, its windows and its neon sign the only respites from its darkness. Bashero looks up from her ticket to the building as Kathy asks if she's sure that she wants to cut class. Girl, I think that decision has been made. <laughs> yeah, it's that time. <laughs> like the show starts in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> been walking for four hours. <laughs> We're staying. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> well, Cheryl says that she is sure. <laughs> and she even offers to hold Kathy's hand if she gets too scared. But as we dip down once again from the neon sign of the building, we find a small crowd gathered in front of the building and walking into the theater. Inside, behind a small line of patrons, Frank, played by Stelio Candeli, walks with his wife Ruth, played by Nicole Tessier. As they walk between the light pillars, Ruth expresses surprise at the fact that there's a theater on this street. Frank explains that it was closed for years and that someone must have put a small fortune into the renovations. So this again feels bigger. Mm -hmm. Yes. Maybe this is explored in Demons 2. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know where it's not explored. Yeah. <laughs> but when Ruth is surprised that she didn't notice it before, Frank tells her with a smirk that she never notices anything. She sincerely asks him not to start with that because it's their anniversary. Listen, 
I don't know y'all's business. Yeah. <laughs> but this should be the last one. <laughs> <laughs> He's horrible. Yeah. I, I was very confused by his character at the start. And then later it's like, oh, you're just a dick. You're yeah. terrible. That's the whole thing. Because after she says that it's their anniversary, he goes, so what? And then he reminds her that he's taking her to a show, asking her what else she wants. Listen, this is a random pop-up that you got a free ticket to today. Yeah. So please don't act like you paid for <laughs> this, this was ship. planned. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we can go to that free movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's our anniversary. Fuck, yeah. let's go. I will say, and that's why I was confused, is because there's a smirk and a smile with everything that he says. Yeah. And so I'm like, is he joking? Is this how they love each other? <laughs> <laughs> His love language is just rudeness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he hands their tickets to Ingrid, who stands in front of the auditorium. Just behind them is a young couple, Hannah, played by Fiora Argento, and her boyfriend, Tommy, played by Guido Baldi. Argento? Yes. Oh, all right. Daria Argento's daughter. Aw, cute. But they hand their tickets to Ingrid without incident or strange argument. <laughs> oh, young love. <laughs> Elsewhere in the lobby, Ken, played by Carl Zini, admires the red motorcycle on the platform with his friend George, played by Urbano Barberini. George looks across the lobby past other moviegoers to find Cheryl and Kathy fighting with a vending machine that stole their change. Smacking a pack of cigarettes in his hand, George smiles, telling Ken to forget the bike. He found something else he wants to write. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> come on now. There's a family well, he show. Do, he zoomed in. <laughs> he zoomed in. <laughs> but Cheryl smashes the coin return, and after friendly bickering with Kathy over whose fault it is, George and Ken approach them. George offers his assistance, giving the machine one firm punch, which sends a can of Coca-Cola out of the bottom. Cheryl thanks George, who tells her that sometimes... All it takes is the right touch. Mm. <laughs> ah. A little spicy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ken snags the soda and he hands it to Kathy, who disregards him completely. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn. She's not here for this shit. She's, not to She's thinking about how mad Mrs. Buckles is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fail. <laughs> we shouldn't have fucking done yeah, this. <laughs> but she tells Cheryl that she thought that she hates to miss the start of the movie. Ken looks mildly annoyed as he stands there with George, but the women hand their tickets to Ingrid and head inside. We then see Werner, an old man played by Alex Sarah, and his younger companion Liz, played by Sally Day. As this film continues, mm -hmm. I don't know the relationship between Werner and Liz. Thank right. you. Because there are several things that I've read that say that Liz is Werner's daughter. Yes. See, that's what I thought. Me yeah. too. And there are several things that I read that says Werner and Liz are married. What? What happens in this theater and the fact that she calls him Werner, she doesn't call him dad. No, but I think he says something later than yeah. like, is she your daughter? Yeah, That's he, what I, he does. I, yeah. Thought, yeah. I thought that, oh, things that happen later, ooh, she's trifling. Yeah. <laughs> and then later on, it's like, oh, no, she's his daughter. I was yeah. like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> so confusing. She's trying to have her life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's not trifling. No. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I, I want to share something very interesting that I read in Fangoria. Werner was originally a much larger character in this film. Okay. He was supposed to be played by Vincent Price. What? Yes. The problem was a lot of last minute changes to the script 
made it to where it was difficult to translate into English in time. Ah. And then by the time it gets to him, he doesn't have time to prepare his character. Damn. And so they shrink the character down to what we see in the film. This is the second movie in a handful of weeks that he was supposed to be in and wasn't. Do you want to know a real tragedy that I was talking on a friend of the show on Instagram about? Mm -hmm. We have yet to cover one Vincent Price film on this show. Huh. We've done remakes. Yeah. <laughs> a few, yeah. yeah. We need to correct that. It's not good enough. Yeah. yeah. No. But Liz locks arms with Werner, who we learn is blind. And as he steps closer to the motorcycle in the lobby, he reaches his hand out, making contact with the metal mask held by the samurai. He calls for Liz, and when he gets her attention, he tells her not to touch it. She asks him what he's talking about, and when we follow his hand as he reaches again for the mask... We see that it's gone. I got a bad feeling about that mask. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's just me, but. (laughs) So astute. I know. I really, I get feelings about things. (laughs) Trust your gut. Just trust me. But we see the mask in its shining silver placed over the face of Rosemary, played by Geretta Geretta. She uses it to scare Carmen, played by Fabiola Toledo, and then asks Tony, played by Bobby Rhodes, how she looks, asking him if she looks sexy. Ingrid watches them with a scornful but knowing look in her eyes. Yeah. And so I'm like, she knows exactly what this mask's about. (laughs) Yeah, uh, okay, so at that point, I'm like, okay, so are you a robot? Are you something else? Are you a monster? What's what's going on here? Because the way she looks at them is like that, exactly like that. I'll be completely honest. Hmm. Seeing the dude with the mask, the metal mask, mm-hmm. seeing the Terminator poster. Yes. That's really <laughs> yeah. where I thought we were going, honestly. Like okay. the subtle clue. Yeah. Yes. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy Tony. Tony. Tony yeah. Tony's pretty hilarious. He's hilarious. He's a lot at first. He yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> because Rosemary's fun is ended when Tony tells her very sternly to cut it out. She does, but as she takes the mask from her face, the edge of it cuts her cheek. Tony says that that will teach her not to touch things and places the mask back into the hand of the samurai. That'll teach you not to touch things is a hilarious thing yeah. to say. <laughs> so you think about that. With yeah. like, really? <laughs> the cut on your cheek? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My face got cut. <laughs> it's an accident, man. Yeah, yeah dude. Trying to be funny. It we was do a lot very, of things. We do a lot was. of things for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> But through the eyes of the mask, we watch more people enter the auditorium before refocusing on the slotted metal of the eye. But George and Ken walk through the aisle, following behind Tony, who very rudely tells Rosemary and Carmen to sit down and shut up. As Kathy sips her rescued Coke through a straw, Cheryl wonders if George and Ken will sit next to them. I was like, why the hell would you leave two seats open on the side of you? <laughs> and then George I was like, Ken? oh, I, yeah. you want them to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, girl. Almost on cue, the men (laughs) sit down in those two open seats next to them. As Ken looks past George and Cheryl to eye Kathy, we overhear Rosemary and Carmen teasing Tony, who responds with anger and profanity. (laughs) (laughs) As the lights dim in the large auditorium, the projector switches on. Motley Crue begins to play loudly, (laughs) and a voiceover in the film announces... The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Brilliant line. Yeah. Yeah. But on screen, 
We see two headlights of motorcycles beaming through the night. One is driven by Bob, played by Marcello Madonio, with his girlfriend Edith, played by Eliana Emilio, on the back, and the other motorcycle driven by Jerry, played by Michaela Sawavi, who looks very familiar, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend Nancy on the back of his motorcycle, played by Jasmine Maimone. Did anybody else uh, kind of get Lost Boys vibes? Fair. Thank you. Because that's I was like, is this fucking Lost Boys? I was like, what the fuck is happening? Cry. Yeah. Not in a bad way. No, but no, no. Like, not at all. Like, okay. Yeah. But that's again, even what I put. I'm not mad at it. No. But that's definitely what it brought up for me. And I will say again, and I wasn't even talking about this earlier, but this film starts the same as the film we're watching. Yeah. Two lights beaming f- through the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I said he looks familiar, uh-huh. I mean, and this. Are, I was going to say, is that is it on purpose? <laughs> I mean, or does. Well, I think it has to be. But then narratively, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it means something as far as what we see in this film within a film. Yeah. Yeah. But then nobody talks about it. Yeah. Are you going to say what it is? We'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But the quartet rides up to a large and old gothic house made of stone, clearly from the haunted house era of architecture. (laughs) In the auditorium, under a red light, the crowd watches intently, already seemingly invested in the film. But through the aisle stalks Ingrid, who peers through the seats with a flashlight. But when she turns to face the camera with it, the light match cuts to the action on screen as we see Jerry's motorcycle reach the back of the house. That was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's little moments like that that you're like, God damn it. Yeah. I love film. <laughs> <laughs> but Nancy stops him, calling him over and telling him that she sees something that looks like an inscription. Jerry asks her what it says, and in the beam of his headlight, she reads from a small stone. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals and tombs your cities. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Nancy shudders from this inscription as Bob and Edith join them. Bob says that according to an old legend, Nostradamus was buried here. Edith says that Nostradamus sounds like a rock group to her, and Bob quips that they were top of the pops in 1500. <laughs> what the fuck, Edith? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. I was yeah. like, come on, man. But after Edith gets scolded for asking if they had rock groups back then, Bob explains that Nostradamus was a fortune teller, a prophet from the 16th century, who predicted a ton of things that had actually come true. When prompted for examples, Bob offers the discovery of Neptune and Uranus, Hitler, the world wars, and the coming of demons. The discovery of Uranus was really important, but uh, (laughs) what was that last thing you said? I don't think it's important. (laughs) It's not as important as Uranus. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Edith is unimpressed, saying that the last one hasn't happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) And Jerry agrees, saying that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think... He says, but there's still time, which is like, can you stop? Yeah, dude? It's like, well, no, it's, no, no. You see she, where we are? Yeah. yeah, shut up. But she even says yet. Yeah. She's like, no, it's probably it's coming. Gonna, yeah, it'll exist. <laughs> Maybe even tonight. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> On a night like tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but in the auditorium, worry washes over Kathy's face as her worst fear has been realized. This is a horror movie. As the group on screen looks around, George assures Cheryl that if she gets scared, she can always hold his hand. He promises he won't mind. 
<laughs> what a guy. Yeah. But Frank in the row in front of them leans back, ruining the mood with a very crisp, shut up. <laughs> Calm down, Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God like, damn. Dude. <laughs> he, even, <laughs> he was even whispering. Yeah. yeah. Like he was not even being that loud. No. <laughs> and he was done talking. He can hold my hand if you want. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> It's like, oh my god! I just <laughs> I like, oh, you just suck, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's when I realized it wasn't a playful thing between him and Ruth. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like this. You're awful. But when he told him that, um, George nods like, "Yes, sir." Yeah, <laughs> you got it, boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say no more. That's that's all I needed. <laughs> make a face or give him attitude. Just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was out of line. I deserve that. <laughs> But back on screen, the camera pans across the gothic architecture to find the group searching the grounds with a flashlight in the dark. They find what appears to be a large hole dug out of the foundation, but as they peer into it and survey old tombstones, a flock of bats fly up at them, causing them to cower in fright. In the auditorium, Werner asks Liz what's happening in the film, and Liz shares that the group is headed down into a crypt and that it's very dark. As she continues to describe the actions on screen, we watch Jerry climb into the crypt and Nancy follows after him. Werner asks if the group is scared and Liz confirms that they are. Rosemary reaches over Tony to light a cigarette for Carmen and the camera pans across the trio as Nancy begs on screen for someone to pull her back up from the crypt. Joey coaxes her down, but still in the aisle of the auditorium, Ingrid skulks around, raising her flashlight over at Tony, Rosemary, and Carmen, telling them that they aren't allowed to smoke here. They lower their cigarettes as if to put them out, but as soon as Ingrid leaves, they just continue smoking and laughing their asses off. (laughs) We can see it and smell it (laughs) and hear y'all laughing. (laughs) It's like there's red lights beaming everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll put this out. No, thank you. Go away. Don't forget to fuck yourself now. (laughs) Is that last thing you said? (laughs) Nothing. Go away? Yeah. (laughs) But Frank leans over in disgust in the front row, telling his wife with a slur that the women are sex workers and he could tell from a mile away. Sir. Ruth, Mind your own fucking business. Yeah. yeah. Ruth asks why he would care and he has no answer to that. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> there is no answer. But back on screen, the group makes their way through cobwebbed catacombs, beautifully backlit by the blue tones of the night. Jerry leads the way and Nancy tells everyone that she's scared. I will say this is what I was talking about. It seems like the real world is Argento influenced Mm -hmm. and this world is very Mario Mm. Bava. Okay. And I feel like what's so interesting to me is that they have such a difference in tones. It feels like a film within a film. It doesn't feel like the same people that shot this movie shot this movie. No, it it doesn't. And that takes a lot of skill. Yeah. But in the auditorium, Werner asks Liz if she's scared and she admits that she is. But in the film, they continue forward Jerry warning the girls to watch their steps as to not fall in through any of the cracks in the floor. But the camera pans around the aisle in the auditorium, and we see a figure move quietly through the dark to sit down silently next to Liz. This is Liz's lover, played by Claudio Spadaro. Salacious. Yeah, like <laughs> I said. Those, yeah. yeah. So it's like, because I thought that they were together. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was... You know what I mean? She was his assistant or something, mm-hmm. kind of helping because helping him out. Okay, like, let's go watch a movie, whatever. 
Um, but then this dude shows up and I was like, well, y'all haven't like really been intimate or touched each other. No. Anything for me to think that y'all are together at this point. Yeah. She's really just helping him around. Yeah. It's kind of there. It's how secretive. Yeah. But when this, when this yeah. dude shows up, yeah. I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, you're cheating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's Skinner and Krabappel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's Chalmers, yeah, I guess. Clearly. <laughs> but the watchful eye of Ingrid's flashlight finds Hannah and Tommy necking in the back of the auditorium, and the light causes them to pull away from each other. So, okay. This is where I'm like, obviously, the smoking, I get. You can't be smoking in here. Whatever. Those are the rules. Mm-hmm. These, This couple making out in the back is none of your business. So her shining a light to get them to stop made me like, oh, you want everyone's eyes on the screen. Yes. Yeah. There's a reason that you want everybody to be watching what's going on in this movie. Yeah, and even so, you could even say, well, we don't want it clouded with smoke. We need you to focus. Even that. Even that. Even that. But again, hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was like, oh. Like, again, I know, I know what's going I know her motivation. I, you know... I mean, just wait. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If we learned anything from Cabin in the Woods, dude was high and he did not feel the effect of whatever they were shooting in that cabin for them to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. So So, everyone needs to have a clear mind. Yeah. Yeah. No No, horniness. No. no, (laughs) Yeah. And you need to watch (laughs) (laughs) You know what else I saw, Carthy, in his book? He compared a lot of aspects to In the Mouth of Madness. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So again, with this watching of this film of things that may or may not, you know, Uh again, I just, I I really think, and I I am part of the problem, I guess, having never seen it, but I feel like this film needs to get its due. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were part of the problem. Yes. Now we're spreading the word. I hope. I hope. (laughs) I hope. Yeah. (laughs) But on screen... Jerry reveals to the group that they're the first people who have stepped foot in this crypt in centuries. He says that the hole they came through only fell in this morning, which he and Bob discovered while they were out looking for lizards today. Edith goes, looking for lizards? <laughs> what? Don't just throw that in there. Why? What? Yeah, why? What's the purpose <laughs> of having <laughs> these lizards? <laughs> to casually say yeah. <laughs> But Jerry just breezes past that, (laughs) saying that they checked it out and decided to come back tonight so they could enjoy this discovery with them. Edith sarcastically thanks them, but Bob assures her that nothing is going to hurt her. He says that vampires and all that stuff only exist in the movies. Yeah, but if this only fell in this morning, Mm -hmm. how do you know the rest of it isn't going to cave in? How do you know something else isn't going to happen? What concerning. You brought us into this tomb, man. (laughs) So you're thinking logically. I was thinking of being beckoned. Oh. (laughs) I mean, either way, you'd have to be a real Nostra dumbass to (laughs) run around the gym. Very good. (laughs) But I think, again, that concept that they're bringing up in the movie. Yeah. It's ironic. Yeah. Yeah. For what comes later. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, movie within a movie. I'm trying yeah. not. To, I'm trying as much as possible to create these distinctions. Yeah. Yes. I hope it's making sense what I've written. It is. Okay. Yeah. But meanwhile, in the auditorium, Liz and her lover are all over each other. But just as he slides his hand up her thigh, Werner seemingly looks suspicious. 
this is when I'm like, I need some clarification on the relationship between this man, this woman, and this horny stranger. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm very confused. And did he have a ticket? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, well, clearly. Just, he really just slithered in there. It looks like he's gained entrance. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the other thing is that when you're talking about having a ticket, I would think as well, Ingrid would not like that. Yeah. Somebody coming into the theater without a ticket. Yeah. But- if more people are watching, she seems oddly cool with it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the group on screen discovers more tombs, stepping over a large stone with the letter N engraved at the center. Jerry crouches down, clearing the dirt and discovering the name on the side of the tomb. After confirming the letters N, O, S, Bob shouts excitedly that it must be Nostradamus. Nancy begs to leave, but the guys instead find an iron bar to pry open Nostradamus's tomb. Again, Nostradamus. <laughs> this is absurd. Why? Well, we're here. I mean, might as well. <laughs> when in Rome, right? <laughs> but the cobwebs catch an eerie breeze in a faraway shot as Jerry pries the tomb with the bar. A nearby tomb collapses in pieces, startling the group. And in the auditorium... George grabs Cheryl's hand in fear, apologizing afterwards, embarrassed. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. We're going. I don't yeah. care if that was a coincidence or whatever. <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of here. Cheryl smiles, telling him that it's all right, and they introduce themselves to each other. I didn't realize they hadn't no. done that yet. But as the men on screen continue to crack open the tomb, Kathy kills the vibe between Cheryl and George, telling Cheryl that if she has a heart attack, it's all her fault. <laughs> She's not down with it either. No. <laughs> Ken hears this and with a sly smile, sneaks over to the seat next to Kathy in the aisle, but she's not about it and just sips her Coke as he tries to make conversation. But in the film within a film, Jerry and Bob finally creak the tomb open, but instead of bones, they find an old text and something wrapped in a thin cloth. Nancy, who was not about this expedition five seconds ago, eagerly asks what the book says. Bob clears it of dust and dirt, coughing as he flips through its pages, but Jerry holds the object wrapped in a cloth in his hands. It did make me laugh that he immediately open mouth child coughed onto that book. <laughs> now it's bonded with you for life. Yeah. Dude, come on. If we know anything about those books with if you get a drop of blood in there. Yeah. And you're just like. <laughs> <laughs> His mouth just open. Like, Jesus, close something. <laughs> but through the thin fabric in Jerry's hands, we can almost make out its familiar shape. And as he tears through the cloth, he reveals it to be a metal mask, exactly the same as the one in the cinema lobby. I'd be a little worried. I'm not going to lie. Just even just be like, huh, I've seen that before somewhere. And then just kind of like, all right. Yeah, I, I, I felt like I was, I mean, you know, whenever we, whenever Scream 6 came out, they did have the popcorn tubs that looked like Ghostface. But <laughs> yeah. that's it's different. Yeah. That's yeah. different. It's to marketing. have a metal mask that sliced a lady in the, yeah, yeah. earlier. That's a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First of all, we're absolutely, it's going to be, it's not the Metropolitan Theater yeah. anymore. <laughs> it's the Metropolitan <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I realized I said it without having a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd help. I didn't have a joke in the chamber, but you understand. <laughs> But Bob attempts to read the text inside the book, and we see a drawing of this mask on the opposite page, 
and through his translations, he determines that it was written by Nostradamus and that it's something about demons. Nancy asks if they can go now, but Bob asks for more time, sharing the groundbreaking bombshell that it says right here in this book that demons are instruments of evil. What? <laughs> Don't know if you knew that. What? <laughs> But Jerry stares into the face of the mask, blowing dust off of it, and then immediately places it onto his face, offering his friends a trick or treat. Yeah, but this isn't like the mask that Jim Carrey had, so I don't know. If <laughs> <laughs> this is more like the mask Carly Beth had. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to put this one on. Stop! Just stop it. Bob responds promptly, ordering Jerry to take the mask off, as whoever wears it becomes a demon. Jerry asks how he knows this, as if Bob isn't reading from an ancient text about it. (laughs) (laughs) But Bob adds more hot sauce, telling him, whoever wears this mask becomes a demon and an instrument of evil. It's like, you just learned that. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Jerry doesn't believe it at all. And in the auditorium, Tony laughs with Rosemary, telling her that now they know why she looked so good in that mask in the lobby. Well, yeah, smile now, cry yeah. later. <laughs> Literally. But as soon as they said that, I was like, oh, she's fucked. Oh, yeah. yeah. It did make me laugh when he was like, whoever wears that becomes a demon. And he's like, how do you know that? And he cites his source. It says whoever wears it becomes a <laughs> demon. <laughs> it's word for word right <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> but as Jerry removes the mask on the theater screen, we see a small cut on his cheek. And this is intercut with the small cut at Rosemary's jaw. So I this is I thought was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Kurti pointed to some similarities of a plot device used in Mario Bava's Black Sunday. Okay. Where somebody is cut by a mask and it leads to someone coming back to life. Oh, all right. So it seems like another small nod to his father. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was very sweet. Yeah. yeah. But on screen, the camera presses in on Jerry, who stares down Lynn's at us and the theater goers as Bob reads from the book. He will spread pestilence and contaminate the world. And Nancy then reads from the book, echoing the inscription that she found outside. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals and tombs your cities. And just as Nancy notices that Jerry's cheek is bleeding, Rosemary can't help but touch the small cut on her face in the auditorium. Fuck, there's no more playing around now. No. That's what I'm saying. I'd be, I know we're watching this movie, but it's like I did the same shit mm-hmm. 10 minutes ago. It's too close. Yeah. yeah. And that was my exact note, too. It's not so funny now, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that'll oh. teach you to touch that. Yeah, Tony was right. I shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep my hands to myself. <laughs> but Rosemary responds in annoyance when she feels that the cut on her face is bleeding again. She puts a napkin to the fresh blood, excusing herself to the bathroom. But as soon as she enters the aisle, Nancy echoes her concern on screen. It won't stop bleeding. Jerry tells her to leave him alone, but the coincidence isn't lost on Carmen, who tells Tony that what happened to Rosemary is exactly what happened in the movie. So now my friend's saying that? No, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't you yeah, be thinking no, the same yeah. thing. I'm throwing up in my seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to it. But Tony calms her, telling her that it's just a bunch of bullshit. But as Rosemary pulls the curtains open to exit the auditorium, she finds Ingrid standing there stoically and passes her without a word, almost as if Ingrid knows what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) Almost, yeah. yeah. 
But in a wide shot, the blue light of the projector beams over the red-lit seats of the cinema. But Rosemary finally makes it to the bathroom, its walls gold and trimmed in dark marble tiles. I had to look it up because the similarity in tones. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the production designer for this film was Davide Bassan, who was the assistant art director for Suspiria. Oh, Oh, okay. And I was like, that's why the film looks so fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) But yellow light pours through rectangular windows as Rosemary walks over to the mirror to look at the wound on her cheek. The camera zooms out from it as she wets the cloth with water from the faucet and wipes at the cut feverishly. Her eyes grow fearful as the wound begins to pulsate, and sweat covers her face as it grows into a boil. The boil promptly pops, expelling a murky liquid as she screams. This is horrific and disgusting. Mm -hmm. And it did make me think of the spider story. Yeah. From uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But, um... Jaretta Jaretta I had seen in an interview with her where she said this was her first day on set this is what they filmed oh wow yeah (laughs) I was like talk about jumping in the fucking deep end yeah this is so (laughs) gross it is I was honestly surprised and they really relish in you seeing all of it yeah they kind of do that a lot really with everything in this film they really focus on the violence and the gore Mm -hmm. but it does it in a way that it it's fun yeah and it looks so good it does it does But back in the theater, Nancy screams on screen as she watches a knife repeatedly plunge into Bob's stomach. Blood pours from Bob's mouth and he collapses dead as Hannah looks away from the action, finding comfort and safety in Tommy's shoulder. This felt like when you have to go to the bathroom for real during a movie. And it's like, oh, we just come back mid staff Yeah. <laughs> that sucks, dude. That's fair. We've missed a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right here, I was like, man, what is happening? Because she just had uh, an exploding face in the bathroom. Yeah. The movie's in a good spot. I was like, what? what is this movie? Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? How, how did we never know what this was or watch this before? I yeah. Don't, yeah. And I think that's the thing is that you hear people talk about demons and whenever they do, they fucking love it. Yeah. And so it's like, why did it take us so long to check it out? Yeah. Yeah. To look into it. Moments like this, like you're saying, it's like, man, th- things are about to... Oh, no. Yeah. You yeah. Know? This is really the point of no return. Yes. It does not stop. <laughs> yeah. And I do want to say, even though I don't know what the hell this movie within a movie is called, I would watch the full thing. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> but in their row in the auditorium, Cheryl even clutches George at the sight of Bob's corpse. In the back of the auditorium, Hannah asks Tommy if it's over and despite having no way of knowing, he promises her that it is. <laughs> He's like, I've seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> As Nancy fearfully makes her way through the catacombs on screen, Tony asks Carmen what happened to Rosemary. Carmen offers to go check on her, and when she gets up to leave, Tony smacks her on the butt, telling her not to disappear too. As she leaves, Nancy wails on screen as the shadow of a knife hangs over her. But in the front row of the auditorium, Ruth complains that she'll be up all night after watching this. And Frank, <laughs> Frank goes, shut up. Yeah, Leave him. Fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude. Leave him. <laughs> you know what's so God. funny is that the, it's, the, <laughs> it's the contrast. You have Cheryl clinging to George. 
<laughs> you have Hannah clinging to Tommy, and Frank's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> it's like put your What's arm the around her. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Something. "I got full chub here." Is it, come no. on, Is that- not full chub. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he does take his jacket off. He's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, he's like, I'm really on. into this. Yeah, he's like, luck, dude. More than most, I'd yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody else is like, oh, God. He's like, shut your mouth. <laughs> it's getting good. Carmen enters the restroom, but instead of finding Rosemary, discovers a mess of blood at the sink where Rosemary once stood. Upon hearing raspy breaths in one of the stalls, Carmen creaks the door open to find a shivering Rosemary with her back to her. When she calls out to Rosemary, a crooked, long-fingered hand climbs up the wall, and Carmen freezes, realizing that's Rosemary's hand. (laughs) Before she can even react, Rosemary turns to face Carmen, her skin pale, her eyes red, and a toxic green sludge pouring from her mouth. It was at this moment. I was like, here we go. I was like, this whole movie. All right. I was like, yeah, I was a little at the beginning. I was like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then as it went, I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> at this point, I was like, here the fuck we go. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to admit, it does make me laugh thinking in retrospect that Rosemary's like, after seeing the scratch on screen, she's like, I need to go check on that. If you'll just excuse me for a little while. This is too close to <laughs> Yeah, I got to take a break. <laughs> but Carmen screams as Rosemary leaps after her, clawing her throat with a growl as Carmen is able to make her exit from the restroom. As the music picks up, Carmen's screams are echoed by Nancy's on screen as Jerry stalks toward her with a knife. Carmen frantically tears through the curtain, bathed in alternating blue and red light as she is lost in its folds, screaming for help as blood pours from the wound at her throat. So I was like, is this a documentary? <laughs> <laughs> this fucking plays about us. <laughs> But she screams for help as the screening continues, Jerry's knife finding purchase in Nancy's back as Kathy shields her face on Ken's shoulder and Hannah does the same on Tommy. Cheryl clings to George as Nancy is stabbed repeatedly, her screams filling the auditorium along with the ripping guitar solo in the score. Are they watching Zodiac? I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well... Carmen finally finds her way through the curtain and her silhouette dashes past them as they flow behind her and Rosemary follows wildly. I just want to say this shot is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. There are red lights on the left with the curtains, Mm -hmm. the blue light of the projector screen cast against the wall in the background, and then the yellow light of the sign for the restroom. This is the color of Italian horror. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I see this, I'm like, I'm home. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I did want to talk about the cinematographer, John Lorenzo Battaglia. All right. He actually shot Lamberto Bava's first two features, but he was the camera operator for Mario Bava's A Bay of Blood. All right. And he was the camera operator for the underwater sequences in Dario Argento's Inferno and Phenomena. So this is what I'm talking about where it's just like this group. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And they work well together. Yeah, clearly. But Carmen hides in a closet, peering through a crack in the door as the demonic Rosemary looks around for a moment, but eventually continues onward. Carmen sighs in relief, and we're taken back into the auditorium. 
We see Werner reaching his hand out for Liz, but discovering that the seat next to him is empty. And we finally see where Liz is. Under a red light, Liz is making out with her lover between the curtains nearby. Werner's forehead covered in sweat, he screams for Liz, which she hears, cutting her romance short, we think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, I understand the need or whatever when it arises and, you know, you're with your significant other or whatever. Arises. Well, oh, come on. don't leave your homie like that, man. That's Y'all came together. Very rough. You know, to enjoy the movie. And it's like, oh, man, you know what I mean? I'm going to dip out real quick. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. And you were describing it to him. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're just sitting there in silence. Like, oh, he, yeah. It's, it was... It was pretty shitty. So I was like, she's trifling. It's honestly very rude. It is. But Carmen somehow finds herself behind the projector screen. It's like, how the fuck did you do that? (laughs) We see the large face of Edith hanging over her, leaving her transfixed, which is one of the few things that reminded me of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. All right. But Werner, however, stands up, still screaming for Liz fearfully, but Liz is still necking with her lover between the curtains. He's screaming very loudly. I was surprised that Frank wasn't like, shut yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's not like they can't hear <laughs> Frank's about to rampage. It got me, though, that she's like, he's calling me. Well, he Hold on. Yeah. well let's just finish up real quick. Like one more taste. Yeah. <laughs> it's like dessert where you're like, all right, one more bite. Yeah. <laughs> just one more, one more bite. I know I should stop. No. <laughs> but it's too good. <laughs> Liz does tell her lover that she has to go, but she does return to the makeout session almost immediately. Rosemary, however, rips through the curtains, and between them, she eyes Liz and her lover. On screen, Edith cries out for Marjorie, which is weird because there's no one in the film by that name. (laughs) (laughs) But but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because (laughs) Jerry's knife tears through the tent that she's hiding in. (laughs) But Edith screams wildly on screen, as does Carmen, who picked the worst possible time for anyone to hear her cries for help. But in a tight shot, the wound on Carmen's neck begins to pulsate as well into a boil, which pops and oozes a teal goo as she screams in pain. She reaches her arms out to the knife on screen, which wriggles through the walls of the tent that Edith is hiding in as she screams too. From her seat on the other side, Kathy looks uneasy as she attempts to tell Ken that the screams they're hearing are real. Ken tries to calm her down, telling her that it's just the Dolby system. <laughs> Not the Dolby system. It's like, you work for Dolby, dude? Like, who He's says like, it's that? A, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> he surrounds you. <laughs> but Kathy insists that there's someone behind the screen. As the frenzied terror continues on screen and behind it, Edith howls, covered in blood, and just as Jerry's knife rips through the tent again, Carmen tears through the projector screen and collapses on the stage in front of it. To anyone else, did this make you think of Jada Pinkett and Scream 2? Fair point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I I was just like, this poor lady. You came with your friends to watch a movie. You're a demon. She's a demon. 
the night's that's not how, going. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's how we're ending the night. Like, yeah, that's, that's bullshit. I just wanted some popcorn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> count for all this. I will say that's such an interesting, interesting point that you're saying because I feel like that's one thing that the film could do a little bit more is talk about this art imitating life, life imitating art, mm-hmm. because it's it's happening right in front of us. Yeah. yeah, and that's something that they do talk about a lot in Scream too. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the classroom scene. Mickey. <laughs> As we all know. Yeah. Played by Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> but I, I did want to point out, Farini, who is brought in for script rewrites by Argento, mm-hmm. he had said in an interview that this was his biggest contribution to the film, holding off on seeing the demons. Ah, uh, okay. He said that in the original drafts that he saw first, the demons came out of the screen almost immediately at the beginning of the film. Well, from what I read, wasn't that what the anthology piece was? Was the demons it, coming out of the movie screen? It would have had to have been. So I can see how it's like, okay, that's the movie. Let's get to it. But I think it is smart to wait. Yes. Because again, you have this kind of like, it's building, it's building. And then once that, once the cork pops, it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrap. Like it does not stop. Yeah. That takes away a little bit of the punch of it too later when you do see them. Yeah. Because if we see already what they look like when it happens later to the, to the people and not in the movie, then yeah. it's like, oh, well, we we seen that it's like yeah of course yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know these guys yeah. naturally and it, it does help with the pacing for sure yeah you know what it honestly reminds me of it it reminds me of that moment in from dusk till dawn where it shifts yes mm-hmm. and then now you're like oh this is the movie we're watching yeah, yeah. oh this is what we came for yeah. <laughs> got it got it and i do want to say that i love the editing of this sequence as well the way that it cuts from the film within a film to the film we are watching mm-hmm. and the way that the tear through the screen echoes the tear that carmen comes through the screen yeah mm-hmm. it's very very it's honestly just cool mm-hmm. i don't know what other word to use yeah no oh, cool works oh, okay cool but everyone rushes over to check on carmen ken and george ascending the stage and with all of them thoroughly distracted no one notices rosemary snatching a rope slipping between the curtains in the back of the auditorium and wrapping it around the necks of the necking Liz and her lover. I'm very concerned that you still have the wherewithal to apply this technique. <laughs> to steal this rope and know what you're going to yeah. do with it. He's like, this is good enough for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. But their lips locked in a kiss. Rosemary growls as the rope cinches tighter. Tony pushes his way through the crowd in front of the stage to check on Carmen, telling everyone that she's a friend of his. We see Ingrid shining her flashlight on them as Tony asks Carmen, who writhes in pain on the ground, what happened. She groans without an answer, but unbeknownst to the crowd, blood pours from Liz and her lover as Rosemary pulls the rope even tighter. When the two scream, Tony, Ken, and George finally become aware of the murder being committed, and Tony stays with Carmen as the men step off the stage. I will say it did seem like Liz and her lover were still trying to kiss as they were dying. I mean, yeah. they, they seem very focused. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's romantic in, in a way. I mean, if you don't think about Werner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. yeah. Well, I mean, if he's nothing, then whatever. <laughs> he's nothing. I mean, if he's not her husband, then she's just trying to live. Again, it's not clear. No. Yeah. But even if it's her dad, then I mean, you really are going to leave your dad there Just for high and dry. She's yeah. Like, yeah, I'll go to the movies with you. It's like, hey, nameless lover. <laughs> <laughs> Meet me in the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> but Cheryl apologizes to a distraught Kathy 
And as Jerry raises his demonic face to the camera on screen, Cheryl says that everything is happening exactly like it did in the movie. Frank seizes Ingrid's arm, asking her what the hell is going on here, but she has no response. I wonder why she has no response. Yeah. Because to her, maybe everything's going according to plan. Yeah, Yeah. because she's clearly behind all of this. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But Tony, however, notices Carmen's hand throbbing underneath her skin and steps back fearfully into the frantic noises of the crowd as Kin and George take notice as well. Carmen's hand leaks blood as her fingernails extend, becoming sharp points. She drags her new claws against the floor, leaving a scratch in the wood before raising her head to the crowd, her eyes as red as rosemary's as she growls and teal bile leaks from her lips. As dead veins trace across her face, she brings her hand down in front of it, her tongue slithering long from her mouth as Cheryl, Kathy, Ken, and George react in horror. I was like, why are we just watching this? Well, it why looks is nobody crazy. trying to <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> if you Fair have, point. we can go back to the lobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this looked incredible. Yeah. Um there I mean there are sometimes you can tell that it's a, a puppet or whatever. No, yeah, but, but it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh the special effects were done by Sergio Stivaletti, who also worked with Argento on Phenomena and Opera. Mm-hmm. And the transformation that we see is a complete animatronic in a moment. And it's so well done because the way that they use the camera, you never even really think about it. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear, but I did read that the effects were inspired by the work of Rick Baker and Rob Bottin. Love oh, it. Oh, all right. And you can see the influence of an American werewolf in London. Yeah. You can see the influence of the thing. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Yeah. yeah. But the rest of the moviegoers make their way toward the aisle. But suddenly, the body of Liz's lover drops down from above, covered in blood and hung at the neck. Mildly reminiscent of the opening death in Suspiria. But as they all rush for the nearest exit, they find the doors closed. We then see Carmen's teeth are pushed out by their roots, revealing sharp fangs underneath as blood pours from her opened mouth. This is so fucking gross. (laughs) Yeah. And it looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Gorgeous and grotesque. Yeah. I think that might be my favorite uh, special effects bit in the whole film. Oh, all right, all right. The teeth, yeah, yeah. It's so nasty. Teeth bother me a lot. Yeah, but if I can, if I can appreciate it, <laughs> yeah. Um, teeth are rough. Yeah, yeah. There's something that happens in a moment where I was like, I cannot believe how good this looks and yeah. how horrible it is. Fair. I thought for a second that she might was going to turn into a big rat, and then <laughs> <laughs> it just never happened. That's From the other movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And they, they wouldn't have explained it here either. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need an explanation. No. I want to know why that rat was there. <laughs> Just let it happen. No. But Tony shouts for everyone to get out, and they head towards the exits as well. Before Frank can join them, Carmen pounces on him, and from behind, seizes his throat with her claws, shredding his flesh and tearing it open. Up above, Werner makes his way between the curtains, step by step, his shoes stepping over the loose pearls of what used to be Liz's necklace. After a few more steps, his foot makes contact with Liz's body, and his hands reach for her, feeling the wounds on her face and calling her name. Out of nowhere, Rosemary grabs him, her claws digging into his eyes, 
blood pouring from his sockets as he screams. This is what I was talking about. Yeah. It is horrific. Yeah. Um, And she slapped the glasses off of his face first. And I felt like that was just rude. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, it was mean. She, yeah. is, she is a demon though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, Rosemary, that was a lot. And that is, that's two of ours in a row. I know we have a thing about eyes and teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, check this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't deserve that. No. no. <laughs> but you know what? Seeing this, the visual of it with him and his eyes, or him without his eyes, it makes me think of your uh, story about the man in the theater. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And it's in a theater. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's Dude. what this made me think of. The eyeless man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I can continue. <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. <laughs> We're ending it for the week. Uh, yeah. I told the full story on Talk Mortem. Go listen to that if you can. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it was amazing to me because I lived to tell the tale is what I'm trying to say. I'm not that much of a braggart. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing, guys. The way I told <laughs> I was gonna say, it. Especially the way I told it. <laughs> but to the sound of Pretty Maids' Night Danger... Theatergoers make a mad dash up the steps of the cinema and into the lobby, knocking each other over on the way to the front entrance. As the crowd gathers and bangs desperately on the door, after a set of exterior shots of the Metropole, we pan across each set of doors as the interior facades are pulled away and torn up to reveal that behind every single door is a wall of white brick. They have all been sealed in. So clearly somebody is in on this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe somebody in an elf costume. <laughs> somebody in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing ideas against the wall. I mean, I don't know, but it did make me laugh that we watched them tear down these doors for a good five minutes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, as writing the script, I was like, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> no, you missed a piece. <laughs> but that that the thing is, is is I was like, okay. You didn't have time to seal these people in in that drive. Where did that come from? Yeah. You're in the what, the first act of the movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the second, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the thing that got me is exactly what Nay's saying is that now it feels like a conspiracy. Yeah. It feels much bigger than what it uh, well, I don't even know what we learn it to be, but Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> frankly, I will say the shot of them rushing the doors and banging on them again. And glorious bastards. Yeah. Oh, all right. For sure. Yeah. I did enjoy that though. Yeah. That, I was like, all right, this is chaotic. I, I'm not mad at this. <laughs> but while some people scratch their fingers bloody against the brick, Cheryl grabs George, telling him that that wall wasn't there before. <laughs> what? Like, what? Cheryl? Well, how did you get it? He <laughs> <laughs> didn't bust through the brick wall like the Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> not the Kool-Aid man you know with Cheryl on the case I think we're gonna get yeah. we're gonna be just fine she kind of does this a lot and then George does it once later that is just egregious oh yeah. my god I'm like what else were, <laughs> were we doing George <laughs> but George tells her that there has to be an explanation and Ken says that there has to be another way out in the frenzy Hannah collapses into Tommy's arms crying that she wants to get out she wants to go home. I think we all do. <laughs> yeah, no shit. It's like, oh, well, everyone bang harder on the brick because Hannah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hannah really wants to get out of here. But Tony takes control of the situation, silencing everyone and telling them that they need to search for the emergency exit. As the entire crowd of moviegoers rush through the lobby to find the exit, one woman, played by Enrica Maria Scrivano, 
dips into a storage room, looking for the exit alone. When her search comes up empty, she goes to exit the room, but comes face to face with the demonic Rosemary, who grabs her. As she tries to run away, Rosemary snatches her up by the hair, peeling it back in a bloody and gory display until she is scalped and falls dead on the floor. She made quick work of her. Yeah. yeah. Like, that was... Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. But that's cool because we don't need anything else. You you wandered in the wrong room. You got got, and that's it. I do find it wild that nobody was like, well, yeah, I'll check with you. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she just goes. And then this is the age-old horror moment of sticking with the group. Yeah. Never split up. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But George and Ken see this and rush to close the door on Rosemary, who growls in the doorframe, almost overpowering them. Tony and some random guy snap into action, grabbing one of the vending machines and using it to slam the door on her. Her fingers crushed and broken by the door, she drags them inside, trapped. Everything finally calms down, with Kathy telling the group what everyone is already thinking. It's the movie. She says she doesn't know how she knows. It's just a feeling. It's just a <laughs> feeling? Anybody else feel like this is <laughs> really similar to it? You guys feel it too, right? <laughs> you feel like maybe this is exactly what we fucking watched yeah. on the screen is in it there? just me? <laughs> <laughs> but Tony feels the same way, telling everyone that Rosemary put on the mask and scratched herself, and because of that scratch, she became a demon, an instrument of evil. It did make me laugh that the film made such an impression that he was able to quote it. Yeah. (laughs) So everyone remembers that cool ass line, right? It made me laugh as well because he goes, like they said in the damn movie, you heard them, right? Right? And Kathy goes, yes. (laughs) We'll answer. (laughs) She's like, I'm the one that I said it first. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But Tony says that they have to stop it. Ruth clings to Cheryl's arm in agreement with Tony and in sobs with makeup streaking down her face says that they have to stop the movie. So this to me, I feel like is where there could have been a lot of social commentary about films and Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. I did read Lamberto Bava in Fangoria. He said that films are catharsis. They're not that, you know, what a lot of critics say that horror films are. Yeah. And so I thought it would have been interesting if they kind of dug into that a little bit more. Yeah. Especially for how clear it is that we're paralleling the film and reality. Yeah. Yeah, because it's happening side by side. Yes. But they're just like, we got to stop this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all the film's fault. And that's it. (laughs) But Ken doesn't believe that it's the movie. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But Ingrid steps into frame, and Tony asks where the projection booth is, finding out that it's upstairs. He enlists the help of the group, telling them that if they stick together, then nobody can get hurt. They all agree and rush off together. (laughs) And again, (laughs) I feel like Ingrid's sending them to their demise. Yes. Yeah. She's like, it's upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Her hands are like rubbing together. It's like, what? <laughs> but let's stick together. We've seen what happened. Lady wandered off. off. Yeah. yeah. The lady credited as blonde victim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it turned out well for her. No, she should have known, honestly. But before they make it upstairs, Tommy rushes towards Tony, grabbing him by the jacket and telling him that he lost Hannah. Tony just tells him to get out of the way, and Tommy runs off looking for Hannah alone. 
We then cut to the auditorium, panning through the empty aisles until we find Hannah crawling on the floor. Now, why the hell would you go back, back. in here? Yeah, I was doing yeah. the exact same thing. <laughs> and you know that floor is nasty. Yeah. Oh, it's a movie theater floor. Ugh. She's there forever. She's stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah lives here now. If you want to go home, this is your home. <laughs> <laughs> but the film continues playing on screen, Jerry growling demonically as shadows dart around Hannah. But upstairs, the group finds the projection booth but can't get past the door. As Tony bangs on it furiously, Cheryl remembers the window of the projection booth and says that she can get in there. Kathy offers to come with her, but Tony tells them that there is no need, and with one stiff kick, he busts the door open. I laughed out loud (laughs) because I thought there was going to be an extended sequence of them working together to climb into this room. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like Laura Croft. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then he just kicks the fucking yeah, door no. down. I yeah, don't worry about that. Found this hilarious. We don't got time yeah. for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> but the camera follows him through the wall. His silhouette through the outside window in the hall cast through the red light of the projection booth. When they find another door inside, Tony busts through that too. This room is filled with large computers and two projectors, which Ken discovers are automatic working completely on their own without a projectionist. So again, feels like some kind of organization. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Who made this movie? (laughs) (laughs) But Cheryl eyes the reel of film being fed into the projector. But when she looks out into the auditorium through the window, in the reflection of the glass, she sees a flash of the face of the man in black. She's taken aback but doesn't say anything to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And this again, where we have this overlap of, oh, I met this man today. Mm -hmm. I saw his apparition on the subway before I met him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing it again. Oh shit. It's also the man in the film. Yes. (laughs) It probably, probably is not connected at all. all. (laughs) I'll just keep this to myself. (laughs) And I think I would have loved a knowing look or something whenever they first see Jerry on the film. Yeah. For Cheryl to be like kind of weird. Even confused. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Tony leads the group in destroying the projectors. And after he busts them to pieces with a stool, he tears the film loose from the projector, successfully destroying the film. It made me laugh because I wrote, why can't you just smash it? Well, and then he goes, smash everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, that's yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What was funny to me was the way they were like, there's nobody in here. It's running on. It's like, dude, somebody's got to maintenance this. This shit just doesn't take care of itself. No, it is on a timer, (laughs) but somebody has been in here still. This is not naturally. (laughs) No, it's 1985. Who fed the film? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Was it Ingrid? (laughs) Just like, you know, this was great, though. And and it's red, right? Yeah. 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 We love to see it. But as Go West's We Close Our Eyes begins to play, we are treated to the city lights of Berlin, the headlights of cars pouring out of a tunnel. But we then hear this song through the car radio of Ripper, played by Lino Salemi. The camera pulls back to reveal his passenger, Hot Dog, played by Giuseppe Mauro Cruciano. They continue down the road, the streets populated and illuminated, and the camera finds two more of the gang in the back seat, Nina, played by Bettina Ciampolini, and Baby Pig, played by Peter Pitch. Baby Pig. 
Indeed. <laughs> I um, love the name. <laughs> yeah. But this is very much Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how much time <laughs> we spend with them just vibing because yeah. <laughs> nothing's happening. But it's so strange to me because we're this far in the movie. I'm like, who the hell are these yes! guys? Yeah. <laughs> we just destroyed the projectors. It's like, new movie. <laughs> what? Like, what? It was a bit confusing. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I will say is I think that they could have, when we see Cheryl on the subway at the beginning, mm-hmm. maybe we see these punks too. Okay. Mm. So that it's like, you know, they seem like nobody right now. Yeah. But we'll pick up on them later. Okay, okay. But nah. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to do that. Brand new characters. (laughs) The second act or the whatever is just a new film. Yeah. Completely. I think it's the third act, but whatever. (laughs) But Nina says that she isn't a fan of the car that they've stolen, saying that they should steal a Ferrari next time. Hot Dog tells her that the car is just like her. It's been putting out too long. Mm-mm. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. And Nina shrugs off this insult as Hot Dog hands Ripper a Coca-Cola with a straw sticking out of it. The taillights of the vehicles ahead of them a blur through his windshield. Did Coke pay for these? I'm saying. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if they'd be happy with what. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. <laughs> I was like, okay, product placement. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know what the deal is, really. They're like, no, we're fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. what everyone did. Yeah, they're like, no, the but we're going to use it the as the original yeah. ingredient. Yeah, I know. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Why do you think fairness. we call it that? Yeah, we've kept the name. Yeah. <laughs> but back in the theater auditorium, the group of survivors make their way onto the balcony. Relief washes over Cheryl, telling the group that the film can't hurt them anymore. But back in his seat above them, Werner, who somehow isn't dead, calls out to them telling them that it's not the movie. As the score pulses like a heartbeat and is accompanied by low atmospheric synth, Werner repeats, it's not the movie, it's the theater. He rises from his seat, his eyes missing and blood dry on his cheeks, revealing that the theater killed Liz, who he says is his daughter. Yeah. In my notes, I'm like, that was his daughter? Yeah. So again, I don't know where we're getting all of these conflicting. Yeah. Oh, why was she calling him Werner? Great question. I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try to think. I yeah. think we do not know. No. <laughs> anybody? Anybody? No. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but he tells them that the whole place is cursed. As if on cue, the lights begin to flicker around them, and Tony realizes that the demons are still here. He notices that behind Werner's seat rests Liz's corpse, and against Werner's cries and protests, he snatches her body up to toss her over the edge of the balcony before she becomes a demon too. He does not need to narrate everything that he's doing. No. I feel like this man has, he's been through enough. Yeah. But when he's asked, George refuses to help Tony, but Ken steps forward, taking Liz's legs. But just as they're about to toss her over, Frank lurches up out of nowhere, and we know it's Frank because Ruth says, Oh my God, <laughs> that's my husband. <laughs> I kind of feel like this is just how Frank normally acts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been like this all night, really. <laughs> just more bile, I think. But they drop Liz's body, and Tony pulls out a switchblade, dodging all of Frank's lunges, sticking him a few times, and sending him careening off the edge of the railing of the balcony. 
As he crashes down below, his body lands directly on top of Hannah, and a cascade of blood and other fluids seemingly flow all over Hannah, leaving her drenched. She crawls away, but backs right into the swaying legs of Liz's lover, whose eyes have opened. I know Tony's, he's a little rude and he's an asshole, mm-hmm. but he seems like he's trying to, like, he's like, look, dude, I'm going to stay alive. Yeah. Hang out with me and we're going to get through this. He's trying to provide some kind of order or yeah. like some common goal because every time these things are happening, the majority of this group is just standing there watching. <laughs> <laughs> they're like NPCs that yeah. have not been given like, they're just like, huh. Well, what's weird is, I mean, even when they were in the lobby and Kathy's like, we need to stop the film, but she gives no way. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, we'll write the studio who made it. Yeah. That's, what we'll, that's what we'll do. It's like, no, the film's upstairs. Yeah. And Cheryl's like, I can scale the side of the building. He's like, just kick the <laughs> fucking the, door what down. What the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> who am I here with? <laughs> but and again, I feel like it's really setting him up as he's the hero of the film. Oh, yeah. And so... We'll talk. Mm -hmm. But elsewhere in Berlin, Ripper and his gang continue down the road to the sound of Send My Heart by the Adventures. After a moment, Ripper tells Hot Dog to take the wheel. He puts the straw in the Coke can up his nose and snorts. His hands returning to the wheel, he remarks that this shit would wake the dead. A little ironic. (laughs) Ironic. Really good line. Mm -hmm. I just... I feel like this is not more inconspicuous than just taking a quick bump off of your hand you're putting the straw in your nose like, <laughs> yeah. i feel like if you're you, at a red light you're taking, <laughs> no, yeah. you're yeah. taking the long way around well you're for really for nothing but if it's if it's full it's easier to put the straw in your nose than while you're driving try to put a bump on your hand or maybe we on the don't key. do this while we're driving <laughs> Did they That's, look like yeah. they care about no. no. But you remember on Final Destination 2 when the guy was doing it? Yes. And then he was getting away with it and he's like, fuck you, Kappa, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, he did. So it's, I feel like, which is better, really? Yeah. But if, if he had that straw up his nose uh-huh. and the cop drove by, he wouldn't have gotten away with it. That's true. <laughs> That's but if he's just like, this is how I drink. Yeah, <laughs> like if he leans over oh, earnestly no. through the window, the it's like, officer, I'm sorry. This is yeah, the only, yeah. This is the only way that I can drink. Him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> check <laughs> check that can. Get this guy off the streets. But this would be a good way to make sure that the scat gets snorted instead of getting the finger to open the bottom. Now, and now fall yeah, out. that's egregious. Yeah, that, <laughs> we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> But back in the Metropole, the group still on the balcony, Tony tells them to rip out the seats to make a barricade to block the entrance into the auditorium. George notices the cord that Frank used to climb up to the balcony and says that they have to undo it. As he goes to untie it, Tony hands him his switchblade, which is still covered in Frank's blood. He stands there, frozen with it in his hand, and Tony asks if there's something wrong. But absolutely drenched in sweat, George says that there's nothing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's clearly something yeah. wrong. that pilot that that pie that knife looks like you sliced a pie with it <laughs> but tony turns to the group unsatisfied with the speed at which they're tearing the seats out he tells them that it looks like they're scared of breaking them and offers to demonstrate how it's done 
He says, I'll show you once more. <laughs> well, damn. This is, I think this is an emergency. <laughs> but just as he goes to kick one of the seeds, which is really a secret move. <laughs> Liz, now a demon herself, lurches up and chomps down on Tony's leg. He screams, snatching the knife from George and plunging it into Liz's head over and over again. But just as she tears his flesh from the bone, Liz's lover rises up from behind Tony, seizing him and oozing goo from his mouth directly into Tony's. Ew, not in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) This is giving uh, Prince of Darkness a little bit. All right. All right. But he did tell him to cut the rope. He did. He did. He got, I feel like, maybe a uh, a little too comfortable he was not, his defenses weren't up. True. But I was not expecting this at all. Like you said, the no. way that he's leading everyone, yeah. I was uh, very surprised. And it's funny, first of all, the couple that slays together stays together. Obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the other thing for me is that when you look at Tony and what he, <laughs> it seems to be what he's embodying. Yeah. He's the hero that's going to save them all. But then not only does he get bit, but Liz's lover is like, no, we're making sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no coming back from yeah. this. <laughs> But George watches as all three of them tumble off the edge of the balcony, get caught, and hang on the rope of Liz's lover. George slowly picks up the switchblade that Tony dropped on his way down and saws at the rope reluctantly until it snaps. As the three bodies hit the ground, Hannah screams, which Tommy hears from the lobby and calls out to her. Hannah makes her way through the curtain to the sound of his voice, and under blue lights, Tommy grabs her by the face, silencing her. He tells her that everything is okay, that it's him, and the two embrace. He notices that she's covered in blood and other liquids, but she tells him that it isn't hers. But when she notices that he's bleeding, he tells her not to worry and that it's just a scratch. No! No, no, no. I know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen enough zombie films. Yeah, I know. It's like, why are you feeling, why are you getting weak quicker? (laughs) You're all clammy. Yeah. Quicker. Your your eyes are sunken (laughs) Why are you eating me? (laughs) This is really weird. He's like, I'm fine. (laughs) I will say that this sets up a pretty fantastic misdirection. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just like, as you were saying earlier, throughout the entire film. Mm Mm-hmm. But Ripper's gang continues on, this time to the sound of Billy Idol's white wedding. Bop after bop. <laughs> yeah. I was so excited. It just made me laugh because it's like, this just feels like a music video yeah. after <laughs> a while. <laughs> They're not doing anything. <laughs> not at all. I told you, just vibing. <laughs> but as they round a corner and follow behind a double-decker bus, the group attends their own white wedding taking more snorts from the communal Coke can. That was good. Thank Mm. you. But when an argument breaks out over whose turn it is and who deserves to snort the drugs more, a three-way tug-of-war breaks out over the can and Nina, Hot Dog, and Baby Pig spill the contents on the floor of the car. That's a sentence I never thought I'd (laughs) say in my entire life. (laughs) That was wild. It's like, when was the last time you slept? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it was hot dog. (laughs) Baby pig, it was a coke can. They spilled it all over the continents on the floor. And and Ripper was pissed. That's just a testament to this (laughs) movie. (laughs) (laughs) But Ripper screeches to a stop the yellow light of the interior highlighting the anger in his eyes. As the blue light of the night pours in through the windows, he furiously tells them to pick up every last gram. 
I'd be so mad, dude. You, we don't, if that's all, we like <laughs> threw all our Coke together in this can and we're dry, and then you spilt it. I feel like that's irresponsible. Well, yeah. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> Let's put it all in one piece with a big yeah. hole in it. <laughs> I think the thing, the thing that gets me is that everything was fine a second ago. They're just passing it back and forth. Yeah. And yeah. Like, no, I deserve more. Yeah. It's like, why are you? We're in a rotation. Yeah. And I really feel some type of way about that straw going up everybody's nose. Yeah. I re- that really bothers me. I don't like that. They're very close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not that fucking close. But back in the auditorium, the group continues smashing rows of chairs, tossing them over to the entrance to the balcony, blocking and barricading themselves in. But back in the car, the group uses razor blades to scoop up every last gram as they were ordered to. Absolutely zonked with bloodshot eyes, Ripper just keeps telling them, all of it, all of it. Baby Pig tells Ripper to chill out. I was going to say, Ripper, <laughs> yeah. chill. We're working, dude. Calm yeah. down. Uh, he he means business, though, because he, he pulled the car over. He <laughs> did. It's like, we're not moving another mile. <laughs> we're in a stolen car, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. He's like, now pick up the cocaine. <laughs> but Baby Pig rightfully tells Ripper that it's clear he's had more than his share already. Yeah. Well, but Ripper seizes him by the jacket, threatening him, which the <laughs> I, I was tired. <laughs> Instead of baby pig, I said, which the piglet takes in <laughs> takes in stride. <laughs> I mean, technically. It is. I'm yeah. not wrong. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> Nay's gone. I'm dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind just converted it. Yeah. Like I know what a baby pig is. Yeah. God damn it! I'm not calling him. No. Yeah. I'm not stupid. I'm not part of the gang. Yeah. It's like I'm baby pig, piglet to yeah, you. You're, yeah, you're I don't know you. You're a piglet. <laughs> but under the red lights of the auditorium, the group continues their barricade. George asking Ken if he thinks that this will actually stop the demons. Ken levels with him. He says, "No, I don't think so." But don't tell the others. <laughs> George asks how many he thinks there are. And Ken says that he doesn't know, but he'll tell him one thing. This is the last complimentary ticket that he'll ever accept from anybody ever again. Nah, <laughs> you're right. Very good. <laughs> We're not getting at it. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to die tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how optimistic of you. <laughs> George and Cheryl agree with him, but Ken, who is somehow in charge now, directs the attention of some of the cinema goers, telling them to watch the railing in case other demons try to sneak up and ordering others to start banging on the wall. He says that maybe the cavalry will hear them and come to their rescue. Here's the thing. We know that the theater is full of demons. (laughs) So let's alert them all of our position. Exactly where we are. Why? I don't know. I think that that's... It's it's optimistic, and people really remain very foolishly optimistic they as do. it continues. But as Billy Idol growls from the car radio to be taken back home to the verse, Nina announces that she's finished cleaning up the cocaine and shows Ripper a photo that she's holding for some reason of herself when she was a one-year-old. I don't, I don't know. No. I don't know. Ripper makes a disgusting comment that I will not repeat, which rightfully irritates Nina. It was mean and gross. Yeah. And her reaction to it, because it was like, this group, it doesn't seem like they're very sensitive. No. Um, Ripper is mean <laughs> yeah. as fuck. Yeah. And we're all just letting him be in charge. So yeah. I figured that this is just how he talks to people. 
But she leans back in the seat and she's like, fuck you. Like yeah. She's upset. Right. Right. Like, I don't care if you're the leader. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like she did not appreciate that. Which again, this. Dyna- and neither did I. No. But this dynamic, <laughs> and, and frankly, as the film goes on, it doesn't mean shit. No. no. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter at all. Um, him being their leader, her standing up to him doesn't mean anything. No. But Baby Pig notices white powder between Nina's breasts, calling it snow in the valley. We have a name for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like either he's really quick or this is like a common occurrence. This happens all the time. <laughs> but he scrapes it up with a razor blade and then sensually opens her vest, revealing her breast and scraping the razor blade against her nipple. I knew when shit started getting wild that we were not getting through this film without seeing a titty or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's that. Yeah. We don't we don't get a set. We just no, get the we one. No, we get the one. Yeah. Well, so your estimate was correct. Oh, a yeah. titty or two. I was right. <laughs> I I and right now my note and and I was like I don't know about the story, but I'm all for whatever's going on. <laughs> like be careful with the razor blade, the nipples. That's very dangerous. Well, yeah. We learn. Yeah. One thing I will say, there's definitely some sexual tension here. Yeah. But it's like, did I miss a chapter in the story of Baby Pig and Nina that <laughs> is necessary? Because am I supposed to be feeling like, oh, wow, they're finally, will they, won't they? Yeah. yeah. Will the piglet get with Nina? I don't know. But And now here we are and it's like, oh, they're finally whatever. But it's like, I've been with, I've only known them for like five minutes. Yeah. yeah. All we know is they all like Coke. They stole a car and Ripper's mean. Yeah. <laughs> but... Baby Pig gets a little too close with the blade, drawing blood from her breast, which causes her to recoil and grab him by the face, calling him a prick through a growl. Baby Pig tells her that all the shit in the air must be what's making her so gutsy. And again, it's like, oh, so she's fucking sick of this. Yeah. Yeah. She's telling everybody basically to fuck off. Uh-huh. So I want to see where this develops. And I love this for her. Exactly. Because yeah. Nina's never like this. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the auditorium, everyone is following Ken's orders, banging on the walls to get the attention of passersby. But outside in their car, Ripper and his gang hear the noise coming from the theater. Shrugging off the sound is probably coming from a movie being shown at the theater and the group just settles back into their vehicle, Nina snorting some of the cocaine that she collected. But as the pounding on the walls continue inside, Kathy cautiously makes her way over to the barricade when she sees that it's moving. She screams for everyone to stop and to listen. As the room goes silent, the barricade begins to creak and move. Kathy clings to Ken, asking him if they're coming. But after just a second of observation, Ken tells her that it's nothing, and it's probably just the seats settling into place. Really? <laughs> they were shaking. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not settling. No. Fuck no. <laughs> but he tells her to relax, reassuring her that the demons can't get through there, and orders the group to keep pounding on the walls. Because if there's one thing that this group can do, it's work together to break shit. <laughs> yeah. and Because that's consistently, mm-hmm. they're, you know... Batting a thousand hundred? I don't know. I don't know. You're like sports. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing very well. (laughs) But from below and through the seats, Werner climbs up through the aisles as eerie music rises. Meanwhile, Hannah and Tommy continue onward on their own, but at the sight of an unfamiliar shadow, they dart in the other direction up a staircase. Back on the balcony, George breaks through the wall with a fire extinguisher peering through the hole he's created. On the other side, 
A black liquid leaks down a white wall, but we can't see much else. George suggests they break it down to see what's on the other side, and the group joins him in demolishing the wall. I mean, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what else? Yeah. But Hannah and Tommy head up another set of stairs to the gallery, Tommy urging Hannah to continue on their own to find a way out when she says that she wants to rejoin the others. Terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, it's a good idea, really, (laughs) (laughs) with what we learned. Yeah. (laughs) But after making a hole big enough to climb through, George leads the way with Cheryl following behind him and Ken holding Kathy's hand as they bring up the rear. Ingrid, who I still wouldn't trust, Mm -hmm. follows them too. Yeah, I was a little surprised she was here. I was like, she's still? Yeah. She's not pulling the string somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And why do you look scared? Yeah. You know what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) But George peers into separate doorways, coming up empty on an exit. They walk down a short set of stairs with other cinema goers, finding a large room completely sealed by a tall wall of brick. Cheryl begins to panic, which George tells her isn't helping. It's not. Like, Cheryl, please. But others in the group succumb to their fear as well, as the camera traces the thick walls that seal the group in. This gave me very much Evil Dead yes, vibes. Very, very. And I was like, I I love that. I was like, thank you for doing that. I It's the movement of the camera. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It's great. This is the, something that uh, Kurti in the book had mentioned as far as Mario Bava kind of using the geography of buildings against his audience. Mm-hmm. They said that he often had rooms in places that made no sense. And having explored some of his filmography, I don't know that personally from what I've seen, Mm -hmm. but apparently this was supposed to be almost an homage from Lamberto Bava for his father. Oh, all right. But the camera pulls back from their barricade to find the entire group back where they started, dismayed and defeated on the balcony. Outside, a police car pulls up next to Ripper and his gang. An uncredited pair of officers greet them and Ripper apologizes to them feverishly, asking if they're parked illegally, but reaching for the wires to hotwire the car. <laughs> he goes, if you'll just give me a second. <laughs> it's like, we can see you. Yeah. <laughs> he did too much coke. He's just, he's not thinking clearly. But he says if they'll give him a second, they'll be on their way. <laughs> the officer riding passenger shouts for him to hold it and asks for his license and registration. Ripper tells his gang to bail, and all four of them rush away after awkwardly pushing the officers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This escalated so quickly. (laughs) Well, they kind of let him go by. They did. (laughs) But they head into an adjacent alley. Feeling as though they've reached a dead end, a door suddenly opens on its own, red light pouring out of it, and the four of them rush right into the Metropole. I think for me, this this is kind of lending to what Werner had said about the theater being in control, the theater being haunted, so to speak. Yeah. I think it's something that they don't really delve into as much as they could or should. No. <laughs> not at all. Because, I mean, it's a to me, if we're not going to explain, there's no organization doing this. Yeah. If it's the theater building these brick walls, it's the theater confusing their geography, mm-hmm. trapping them. Yeah. That's cool as hell it is but didn't frank say that somebody renovated it exactly 
So did it do it itself? Yeah. These are concepts that are really cool, but yeah. nobody. Yeah. It's like, look, we're not here for this. Yeah. <laughs> Show me another blue bile mouth. <laughs> but as the gang heads inside, someone else rushes out and hides behind a car in the alley. You could have seen that dude go by. <laughs> yeah, he sprinted. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it, they would have had to have held the door for him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're leaving? Okay, yes. <laughs> They're very polite, this gang. <laughs> right this way, sir. But as the officers round the corner to investigate, they hear the sounds of movement behind the car. I will say they step out from yellow lights into blue lights. Mm -hmm. The gang went from yellow lights to blue lights to red lights. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I just love the look of this film so much. But the officers slowly step behind the car, guns drawn, to find the demonic Werner. He lurches up, slashing at the first officer, and the second blows his hand off with his gun. But back inside, Tommy wrenches the vent off of a duct overhead. Blue light blinking from it and cast into the gold room that they're occupying, Tommy climbs in first. He pulls Hannah up with him, and they crawl through slowly. We then see Ripper and his gang climb up through a concrete basement, wondering where they are, and finally making it towards the auditorium. Okay, when they came in through the basement, mm -hmm. I was like, where are they? And then they came up, and I was like, oh, so see, even that. Maybe if it would have stayed different, and, and like you said, and played on the haunted yeah. theater a little more, then it would have been like, oh, shit. The rooms did change mm -hmm. as soon as yeah. they turned, as soon as they got in here. And I think that that, it, it makes me think of the Blair Witch with the woods. Yeah. Kind of leading them in a circle mm -hmm. where nothing makes sense, but that's kind of the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, also, <laughs> seeing the basement of them come up and say, like, this is Hell House LLC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did read um, Sacchetti, the first screenwriter mm -hmm. had said that what they initially wanted this concrete basement that we see mm -hmm. this was going to be the climax of the film it was going to take place there oh okay mm. and it was going to be he said much more delving into romanticism and other in he said intelligent horror okay and so i guess he was kind of taking a swipe at argento and farini and what they decided to do with the ending in their rewrite damn but i was like all right this is what i'm talking about it's like god but the, damn yeah. the ending that we get very much falls in line with the film yeah, yeah. it fits i i think that it's fine i'm sorry Sakati. yeah yeah but inside the duct tommy stops for a moment to catch his breath but hannah encourages him to continue telling him that this was a great idea and they're gonna make it but just as she says this they hear the scraping of metal behind them and we see demonic claws scraping the bottom of the duct. Tommy asks what that noise was, but Hannah says that she didn't hear anything and tells him to just keep moving. Ripper and his gang find the auditorium deserted and ponder where the noise could have been coming from if no film is being shown. But deciding not to stick around to find out what's going on, the group makes a break for it up the adjacent staircase. But back in the duct, the scratching noise continues, and Tommy hilariously and accurately describes it. It's like something is scratching its nails inside the shack. <laughs> it's like exactly like yeah. that. <laughs> but Tommy tells Hannah that it's behind her and to climb faster. And we see demonic arms trailing behind in the ducks. 
At another fork in the ducks, Tommy recedes, telling Hannah to go ahead of him. But in the maze of the ducts, Tommy realizes that the scratching is in front of them now. Confused, he tells Hannah that it's impossible. But after the blue lights flicker for a moment, Tommy looks up and in front of him to find Hannah turned around and facing him, her face demonic, and she growls as she sinks her sharp teeth into his throat. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Very good. I was like, you got me. That yeah, was yes. fucking the whole time. I was like, "What the fuck's happening?" Yeah, and then when she turned around, I was like, "I, I was like, bravo!" All right, <laughs> and it's the misdirection of it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. it started earlier in the curtains where they're like, "Tommy was scratched," yes. mm-hmm. and then we get to the ducks, and then the way that it's edited and the shots. Mm-hmm. And I will say that the claws of these demons do kind of look a little bit like the claws of Helena Marcos on Spiria. All right. From the beginning at the start of the film and later we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I just, I, I can't say enough about the sequence. I think we all kind of knew what was going on. Yeah. But it's one of those things that you're like, I can't wait until this is, yes. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of feels like a shot, uh, homage to Alien. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where he kind of, you know, the alien, we remember. Yeah. The jazz hands. Yeah, yeah. jazz hands. Xenomorph, yeah. Mm-hmm. Give it to me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think JP said that on the episode. <laughs> but we cut to the silence of the deserted auditorium and the empty hallways of the Metropole before finding our group once again on the balcony. Ripper and his crew, however, have made it into the lobby and are tearing it apart in their confusion, unable to find an exit. Hot Dog, however, finds a door behind a vending machine. Don't do it, man. No. (laughs) The gang gives him a hand, and as soon as they move it out of the way, they find nothing but a dead end and leave. Nina hangs back, however, and after catching her reflection in a mirror, decides that this is the perfect time to apply some lipstick. You can't fight crime if you ain't cute. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why she's doing that. I don't don't know either. But when she accidentally drops the lipstick and bends down to retrieve it, Behind her stands Rosemary's scalped and now demonic victim. It's behind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the slime dripping down the mirror should yes. have told you this is fresh. Uh, yeah. Yes. I don't know what that's from, but I'm going to go ahead and head out. I don't want to find yeah, out. Yeah, no. Why was this room barricaded like that? Yeah. You know, you know that. No, whatever. It's like they didn't want me to come in here and put my lipstick on. Yeah. <laughs> How I'll show them. They. I'll put it on. I'll do two coats. <laughs> coats. <laughs> but goo gurgling from her mouth, she seizes Nina by the throat. Ripper and the guys hear her scream and rush to help her. But in an amazing shot, a horde of demons ascend the staircase their glowing yellow eyes piercing through the blueness of the dark. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. That's the money shot. Led by a demonic Tony, they rush down the hall after Ripper and his gang, their combined growls and screams heard by the group on the balcony. So, Kurti, in his book, he interviewed Bava, and Bava said that the idea for the eyes in this shot came to them on set this day. (laughs) All right. 
And he said that obviously they don't have CG capabilities. Yeah. And so what they did is they had the actors tape pieces of refracted paper on their eyes. Okay. <laughs> and then a flat light behind the camera angled, hit them just right. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, that's really cool. It's incredible. It yeah. looks amazing. Yeah. And this is the shot from the poster. Yeah. yeah. Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. But the people on the balcony foolishly assume that these noises are the cavalry coming to their rescue. Not so fast. Yeah. <laughs> They're literally like, we've been, we've been rescued. <laughs> but they all rush to tear down their barricade. George screams for them to stop, but nobody is listening, and they toss the broken theater seats out of the way, even when George reminds them all that downstairs is full of demons. This reminded me of that sequence from The Mist. Oh, okay, yeah. And I will say, we haven't talked enough about this theater as a setting. Yeah. It's incredibly designed, Mm -hmm. and it does give that feeling of claustrophobia in one place, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love it a lot. But in the lower level of the auditorium, Ripper, Hot Dog, and Baby Pig are swarmed by demons, and they wonder if the demons are after their cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Just run away, dude. (laughs) That made me think of Shaun of the Dead when uh, Pete's like, one of those crackheads bit me. It's It's like, like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Hold on. But fed up on the balcony, George urges Cheryl and Kathy to follow him, and they rush away from the group with Ken. Almost immediately, exactly as predicted and expected, the demons burst through the now-opened barricade, the cinema-goers fleeing cartoonishly and to no avail as they're promptly chomped, strangled, and devoured. This is mayhem. Oh. Yeah. A cinema-goer is seized momentarily, but as a demon sticks its fingers in her mouth, she bites them off blood spraying her face and down her throat. After Ruth is killed by a returning Rosemary, Ingrid attempts to follow the group out, but is promptly strangled by a demon in the frenzy. So what the fuck? (laughs) I'm telling you, man, I thought this reveal was going to be on its way. Yes. She's, there's like a slow clap as they ascend something. Yes. She's in control of everything. Yeah, yeah. Her getting ready in the mirror, looking diabolical, taking these tickets, watching people with the mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, when fucking Rosemary goes to the bathroom and she's standing there waiting for her to leave the theater. Yeah. It all, like, what, yeah. what was it for? She's just a weird chick, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the only employee here. Yeah. Yes. So she owns the theater? That's I don't what, know. That's what I was telling John Paul earlier. Who hired you? <laughs> How did you get this job? Those automatic projectors hired me? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. It is weird because I I the same I thought the same thing the whole time I was like you've got something to do with this yeah and then come time and it's like oh you're with everybody what the fuck it's like what happened and so you wonder you're like is this the good kind of misdirection or yeah or did a ball get dropped <laughs> <laughs> I don't know neither but George climbs through the barricade of seats followed by Cheryl and they're joined in safety by Ken who drags Kathy with him who has fainted. I would keep a very close eye on her. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was bugging me the whole movie because Cheryl was reminding me of somebody and I could not put my finger on it. And it was finally here that I did. It's Lulu Wilson. Okay. They favor each other in certain like certain points to me. Yeah, That's fair. Yeah. I never. uh, Yeah. 
Right? <laughs> One thing I will say, and this is where I kind of got confused whenever I was writing the script. Uh-huh. The cinema goer who bites the fingers off the demon. Yeah. It just looks like a random person because the clothes are not any clothes that I recognize. Yeah. Especially when we get our group of survivors into the light of this room through the barricade. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people think that Kathy is the one that was on the ground with the demon that bit his fingers off. Oh, I mm. did. I I didn't think it looked like. Didn't Kathy. realize that. Yeah. And I so, didn't either. I don't know. I mean, if it was that, <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it looked nothing like her to me. No, I thought it was just a random person that was there. Me yeah, too. me too. There was a girl that was walking around lighting cigarettes for people. And I thought it was her. Okay. But uh, what do I know, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and really, does it really matter? Not no. so much, yeah. no. <laughs> but they pick up Kathy, Cheryl attempting to wake her. But when the demons begin to ascend a staircase at the opposite end of the room, they take off running. They head downstairs, George calling them over when he sees the duct that Tommy opened earlier. Ken suggests that they climb inside, and Cheryl asks if she should go first, but George says that they should help Kathy inside before anyone else. Cheryl approaches Kathy, who sits on the floor with her head down. She finally raises it, covered in sweat, and asks Cheryl where she is before lowering her gaze again. George assumes that she's in shock. <laughs> it's like, what have you seen tonight? Yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm sure it's fine. She's it's, tired. She's dehydrated. <laughs> if you're sweating too much, I'm going to be like, um. Yes. But when Kathy raises her head for the second time and rises to her feet, she peers at them through red eyes. I feel like these eyes really receive an underreaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, she's really tired. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, like, she's exhausted. So you're okay, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're good to get your first. Yeah. <laughs> you're first up. We told you. But in a gruff voice, sweat dripping from her chin, she asks, who are you? As yellow light permeates the area, Kathy slides back down to the floor and begins breathing heavily. She faces the group again, this time completely transformed. Her teeth have grown sharp, and she growls a roar at them as bile drips from her lips. All I could think is <laughs> teeth grown sharp. Eyes <laughs> 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 red. red. Yeah. It's exactly what's happening. Yeah. It is. So maybe that's an homage there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Selleck loved demons. <laughs> you heard it here you first. Heard it here first. <laughs> But Cheryl shrinks in terror, and Ken snaps into action, grabbing the metal grate from the air conditioning duct and beating Kathy senseless with it. <laughs> that looked so funny, dude. I don't, he's like, I need to keep the duct this way every, yeah. <laughs> every time. <laughs> it's like, why? <laughs> but as she collapses, Ken grabs Cheryl, convincing her that that thing isn't Kathy anymore. But just when they think it's over, Kathy rises again on all fours, the flesh of her back tearing open, blood pouring from the fresh wound. George directs everyone to look at her back as if we'd be looking anywhere else right yeah. now. <laughs> oh, gross. What's look, that? Look at that. Her back. You literally. <laughs> look at her back. That is so fucking funny. <laughs> But the sharp hands of a demon pierce through, followed by its body, black as a shadow, its eyes red, horns pointed, and teeth jagged. 
well, this has never happened before. <laughs> no, and it feels, you know what it feels like? And we're talking the about- The rat. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is their rat moment, but it's also the evil dead. Yeah, okay, okay. I. You know what I thought? I was like, is that the thing from Cat's Eye? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you're made? <laughs> how you're made? We, we got an origin story. Yeah. Hey. But yeah, I was like, this has never happened. Yeah. <laughs> this has not been established. You know what's interesting is you mentioned Cat's Eye. I did read in that book that this film outgrossed in 1985 in Italy, Cat's Eye and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Damn. Really? Yeah. All right. Just very weird that you said that. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought it kind of reminded me of the chestburster scene in Alien. Hey, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Just so many homages. Yeah. But this part made me laugh out loud because the demon slashes at Ken, tearing through his chest, and then just runs away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it disappears behind a curtain. And I was like, I guess that's all. <laughs> it's all it wanted. See? <laughs> Thing from Cat's Eye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did read as well in Curthy's book, uh, Stivaletti explained that this was meant to be even more okay and the thing that happened was that the budget constraints and their time constraints made it to where it wasn't as elaborate as he wanted it to be mm -hmm. but and i there was another thing people were talking a lot of critics were saying that this sequence is clearly fake or whatever and it's yeah. like well the whole fucking movie really fake. Uh, yeah <laughs> none, none really, of this happened yeah. <laughs> <laughs> newsflash asshole uh <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. But to me, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. No. But Ken laments that it got him. But George lies to him, telling him it's nothing. George. Yeah. Knowing that he will turn into a demon, Ken shouts for George and Cheryl to save themselves and runs up the stairs. Cheryl says that they can't leave Ken alone like that, and they chase after him. Yes, we do. Yeah. You just saw your friend's back give birth to a demon. <laughs> yeah. It's every man for himself. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, if he wants to die alone up there. Let yeah, him that's go. Fine. We met him tonight. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to buy us some time because he's going to make noise. They're going to run after yeah. him. Yeah. Let's go. And he's in funny. a lot of groaning pain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> him and George are friends. Yeah. And George wasn't even like, oh, my friend. Like, he knows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's, again, he's learning at least. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But Ken staggers up the stairs, his breathing heavy, resting on the light platform where the motorcycle sits in the lobby. As his face grows pale, Cheryl and George approach him, George holding his shoulder and telling him to fight it. <laughs> Have you seen anyone do that? Yeah. No. Have like, you seen oh, anyone be no. able to do that? Resist? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but through his pain, Ken is surprised that they're still here. And he tells them that he doesn't want them to see him like this and to leave. <laughs> George goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he's right. That's yeah. fair. I don't want to see it either. <laughs> Frankly, you saw what happened to your friend's back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I directed your attention to your friend's back. Right, we can't risk that again. <laughs> That, that's fucking me up yeah. enough. And after, I barely knew her. Right, after everything, seeing that. No, that's where I draw it's the line. It's done. Yeah. We're done. But just as they turn to leave, Ken stops them, asking for one last favor as a friend. He snags the katana from the hand of the samurai, telling George to kill him with it. As he raises it to George, his eyes turned red, 
Cheryl looks over the railing and sees that the demons are approaching. She slowly backs away into a red curtain, watching as Ken begs desperately for George to kill him. He gives George the katana and begins to walk up a set of stairs, but almost immediately, he whips around, snarling at George as bile pours from his mouth. It's funny to me because just like with Kathy a minute ago, Mm -hmm. her eyes were red, she's clearly transforming, and... They're just witnessing it and fine. The minute that that bile enters the chat, they're like, oh, fuck, it's gone. Like, that is the moment where it's like, oh, now we got to do something about this. Well, it's gross, dude. (laughs) It is. I don't look at that. No, people wear contact lenses. That's fine. But this shit, I don't care what color that goo is. Put an end to it. Get it out of here. And if, if, and, I love my friends, but if we're out and we're doing something and we just witnessed all this shit, and you get hurt and you're like, please just kill me. You got it. No, yeah. <laughs> okay. <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> no, please. No, no, I'm going to do it. You can stop begging. <laughs> oh, yeah. I already said okay. Yeah. We've seen enough tonight. Yeah. To know. No. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> but George screams in slow motion as he swings the katana, spraying Ken's blood all over the floor and the lighted platform. Cheryl hides behind the curtain, unable to watch, But as she enters the auditorium, several demons make their presence known. Why would you go into the auditorium? Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, why do people keep going in there? (laughs) That's where the fun is. (laughs) It's got to be empty by now, right? Yeah. (laughs) George somehow busts in, riding the motorcycle from the lobby, calling out to Cheryl and speeding and jumping over the seats. He reaches his hand out to Cheryl, and she climbs onto the back as George slashes at the approaching demons with his katana. Some of these shots are fucking hilarious. <laughs> they, yes. I I will say it does remind me of the bikers from Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Okay. So again, I feel like there are these slight little homages. Yeah. And Argento produced that as well. Yeah. But at the same time, and I will say I love the editing and everything, but this sequence goes on. <laughs> So long. <laughs> a, a lot. Well, <laughs> a lot. Uh, I loved all of this. I no, don't care great. any it, of the shot. The what? <laughs> for me, that I this is where I almost cried <laughs> watching that. I was like, this is the most beautiful shit. The music kicks in. Everything. I was like, yes. oh. <laughs> he goes to accelerate. A demon's hand caught in the spokes of the wheel, but through repeated attempts, its fingers are severed. And to the sound of accepts fast as a shark, George rides around the auditorium, making short work of the demons who pursue them in an extended sequence before riding up and down the stairs and then back into the auditorium (laughs) for a second showing. (laughs) There is a lot of slashing. I won't go into full detail. But everyone seems to take their slashing in stride, except for Nina. (laughs) (laughs) She gets impaled in the stomach and drops to her knees screaming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we also see a demon seemingly snatch and slash George's arm, but this doesn't become an issue at all. No. I thought that was kind of strange. But eventually, Cheryl falls off the motorcycle and George wipes out. He reaches his feet quickly, slashing through Tony and dispatching the demonic Ingrid, among others. Ingrid also dies very dramatically. (laughs) (laughs) But through an arpeggiated frenzy of a guitar solo, George finds Cheryl and lifts her to her feet. She is smitten. 
I mean, how do you not fall in love with this dude? Yeah. After the sequence of him. That <laughs> <laughs> he went back in. <laughs> when he went, was I was so like, you're not going to try to leave. You're just having fun now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, round two. Let's, let's try that again. That was fun. It was like that game on at the Golden Saucer in Final Fantasy VII. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) But after an exterior shot of the Metropole, we hear helicopter blades whirring. A quick POV zoom later, and a large rumble is heard before a helicopter comes crashing through the ceiling of the auditorium and landing on the ground. Why? I don't know. How? Why? Why did they... I, we never know. No. <laughs> there, this is. <laughs> no, we're, I think the thing for me is like it feels like they're like, well, how do we get them out of here? Yeah, we'll just uh, fucking send a helicopter. Yeah. Like, yeah, why not? There doesn't seem to be any logic to it. Yeah, or any reasoning behind it. There's not even. I mean, there were a lot of helicopter things involved in Dawn of the Dead as well. Yeah, true. I don't, I don't know, but it was just so random that I just busted out laughing. <laughs> oh no, yeah. <laughs> but George and Cheryl investigate, discovering the dead bodies of the pilots who are dressed like Ash Williams for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> both of them. But after throwing their bodies out and checking out the inside of the helicopter, the glowing eyes of demons approach slowly from the distance. George tries to get the helicopter started again as Cheryl yells repeatedly in his ear for him to do something. Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Yeah. This is not helpful. I've done everything. <laughs> did you just see what I did? Yeah. Literally. Like, I, I fucking manifested a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't even conceive of my powers. <laughs> All that killing with the bike and the katana, that was so badass. Right? The helicopter had to come That see. wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're doing that? Yeah. <laughs> but the blades eventually start to spin, chopping the demons who get too close, very similar to something from Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again. But George directs Cheryl's attention to the hole in the ceiling, telling her that they have to go up. He hands her a grappling hook from the back and climbs to the top of the helicopter. She hands it back to him as he has her attach it to a winch before firing it upwards and securing the line. As Cheryl climbs up to him, one of the pilots returns to life, seizing her, but she's able to break away from it, and they ride the line to the roof of the theater. I know we're frightened, Mm -hmm. and I know we're trying to get out of here. The... Mind you, the demon barely grabbed her leg. He did, yeah. It, she yells out. She's like, I can't anymore or something. <laughs> yes. We're, we're seconds away. I set up this whole apparatus. We're Literally. getting out of here. <laughs> like, you got to stop struggling. I got to be honest. The word that pisses me off more than anything is anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You've done What have nothing. you done? <laughs> we're literally ascending. <laughs> yeah. That was my note is, Cheryl, you are going to get left. I'm yeah. getting the fuck out of here. If you can't do it anymore, yeah. stay down here. Yeah, I'm going to Batling Gatling gun. Literally. Batling. <laughs> Batman Gatling gun my way out of here. I was like, okay, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> but surveying the area and surrounded by alternating blue, red, and yellow flashing lights, they hear the sounds of screams and gunfire echoing throughout the city. So this, to me, is Werner. Mm-hmm. He brought this mm. shit outside. Oh, okay. okay. And the cops probably ate a few people on their way. Yeah. yeah. Well, naturally. And yeah. here we are. It's turmoil. Yeah. As one does. As you do. Yeah. yeah. What choice do you have? <laughs> <laughs> 
But out of nowhere, the man in black approaches them from behind. Oh, it's you. What are you so happy about? <laughs> Where the hell have you been? I don't know. And he doesn't, he, he won't tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll continue, but I have a, a bit to say. Mm-hmm. But without a word, he pushes George through the hole in the roof and throws Cheryl off of him when she tries to attack. George is able to hang on, snagging rebar to prevent his fall. As the man in black clutches George's face, Cheryl quickly grabs the grappling hook and stabs it through the back of the man in black. It was nice to see Cheryl clock in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we only got like 10 minutes left. Literally. <laughs> Blood pours from his mouth as George climbs back up. The man in black removes the hook from his back, but he does it in a way that's like, ooh, that's a lot better. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm buttoning your pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he seemed like he was in a lot of pain. He, he was. was. Like, <laughs> for a second, I was like, oh, he's really hurt. We might want to call an ambulance. <laughs> I was like, I think we really hurt that guy. <laughs> and again, I don't understand what his powers are, what his capability is. Yeah. So I don't know if he's, I don't know what this means. Yeah. But with a long pipe, Cheryl and George are able to force the man in black to the ground by his throat, eventually impaling him painstakingly through the eye of his mask on a sharp, vertical piece of rebar. So this is a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, that was quick and easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. I obviously don't need a villain monologue right, or anything like that, but... This guy is literally the guy from the film you watched earlier. Mm-hmm. He is wearing half of the mask that he found in the film. Yeah. And it seems to be sealed into his face. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about it a little? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we get a crumb of explanation? Well, it looks cool, though, because it does look like it's like you said, it's embedded in his skin. Yeah. And yeah, that that's just it. So I think my my question is. If we see the end of the film, is this how Jerry looks at the end of the film? Are you Jerry? Are okay. you a separate entity that created the film and are somehow a part of it? Mm-hmm. Like, again, I mean, there the fact that he is played by the same person yeah. has to mean something. Yeah. What that is, maybe it's explained in Demons 2. Okay. I mean, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Because <laughs> we do not. No. Yeah. <laughs> But Saxon's Everybody's Up begins to play as they realize that they are once again surrounded by demons and decide to make a break for it, climbing down from the rooftop. They climb down into the blue alley where the cops were killed by Werner, George dragging Cheryl with him through the fire and smoke of the dead city. Demons with their sharp claws and glowing eyes pursue them from every direction, and after passing several burned-out cars, a man in a jeep played by Jofredo Unger stops for them. He shouts through the smoke for them to jump in the Jeep. They do so immediately, sitting behind June, the man's daughter, played by Emanuela Zikowski, and his son, Kirk, played by Giovanni Frezza, who holds a rifle. And some bread or a sandwich or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's multitasking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently this kid has been in a ton of Fulci films already at this point. Really? <laughs> yeah. Good for him. I was like, wow, it's like this is a cameo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he's so fucking casual about yeah. it. Yeah, like, this is normal, dude. I've been here before. <laughs> but June welcomes them and tells them that there are more weapons on the floor if they want to help. When asked... The driver says that they're going as far away from here as possible. He says they saw some lights in the sky out west, and maybe not everything is lost. Maybe there's some place where they can start a new life. 
George and Cheryl stand together in the back of the Jeep as the credits begin to roll. But through the smoke, the camera presses in on the back of Cheryl's head. The credits stop as she turns to us and snarls with sharp teeth and red eyes. Before she can attack George, Kirk blasts her through the chest and out of the Jeep. From the perspective of her body, we watch the Jeep speed away as the main theme plays and the credits roll. So, what did you guys think of Demons? Real quick, uh, Kirk blasted her with that sandwich in his mouth. He did. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let me take care of this real quick. Very casual. Yeah, <laughs> super cash. Um, I'm I'm a little bummed that I didn't find out about this movie until now, but I'm also glad that we did cover it and and you know what I mean, get a chance to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is very fun. This movie is exactly what I love about B horror movies, and it's not like take yourself serious. It's like you said, you could easily add more into the story Mm -hmm. but they're like no 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 no. we're gonna give you the bones and then you can just figure out how it goes you know with us because we're gonna put them together little by little but then they do it so fast it's like oh shit and stuff is just happening so by the end of the movie it's just like oh that's what this oh all right that's fine but it's it's fantastic in the craziness Mm -hmm. there's a lot of chaos uh, there's a lot of demons, a lot of cutting, a lot of gross stuff being spit out or exploding from people's bodies or whatever. <laughs> but that's also the charm of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not expecting this, but I'm very glad that this is what we got. Yeah, I agree. This very much took me by surprise. It challenges everything that you think that you know or anything that you think that you have already called that is going to come next Mm -hmm. right up to the credits rolling and then being like nah psych yeah like that's fantastic (laughs) and for me super effective and it did make me laugh because george did not even seem upset no (laughs) he's like Mm. she was driving me fucking crazy dude do something yeah Yeah. i'm doing everything i did all of it he's just ranting in the car the rest of the way there but um no it's it's fantastic and then again that's our final girl that's Mm. who we that's who brought us to the dance in all honesty we saw george get slashed yeah. yeah. So it's another misdirection of it being like, oh shit, well, George is going to turn eventually. Yeah. No, but Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> it's misdirection on top of misdirection, which I love because I really do enjoy not knowing what the fuck is going to happen next. Yeah. But on the other side of that coin, it's like, but y'all also didn't explain shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a double edged um, katana, as yeah. it were. Because, you know, this is a lot of fun, but if you're looking for anything deeper, then a lot of really excellent practical effects and just a lot of really fun gore and a excellent soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the the story just drives. It just keeps going. It This movie flies. It does. It is short to begin with, but it flies by. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for anything deeper than that, this is going to be a disappointment. You need to realize what this is and it excels at what it is Mm -hmm. but yeah there are some (laughs) big issues narratively (laughs) (laughs) but um for what demons is 
like you said, I'm bummed that I didn't see it sooner mm-hmm. because I feel like when I was younger, this would have blown my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. But I'm so glad that I've watched it now and it will definitely get thrown into the rotation because it's just a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with both of you more. I think that for me, what is so amazing about it is how aesthetically pleasing it is. Right. How fun it is, how quickly it goes. And I mean, there are a ton <laughs> a ton of narrative issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot. But the thing is, is that it's so fun. It looks so good. And you're having a blast while you're watching it. You might not even think about them. Yeah. The only time that you might is when the man in black shows up again. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Like, if you didn't bring him back, I might have just forgotten about him. Yeah. To be honest. Just think that he's part of the movie or the theater or something. Yeah. And then that's just it. He's the guy who hands out the tickets. Done. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say the issue with Ingrid is pretty egregious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe that's intentional misdirection. Yeah. And they're trying to trick you on purpose. That's true. But um, no, I, I think that this is one of those movies, like you both said, that if I watched this when I was younger, this is one I could very easily see arguing from a from my mind as a kid, the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. This movie's a 10 to me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But not having that. Yeah. It does change it a bit for me. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from how fun this movie is, Mm-mm. how comfortable this movie is yeah that's the thing about it is that it even though i didn't have it until like literally this week yeah it feels like a film you can kind of nestle into and enjoy oh yeah like there's just something built into it and maybe it's because of you know my love for italian horror and the aesthetics of it because they're here oh yeah and it is a beautiful film with a fantastic soundtrack by the guy from goblin yeah i mean come on yeah uh but you know uh, I guess uh, I'll clumsily slip into ratings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For me, I mean, it really is all of that. The positives of it and the, the performances are good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the film looks, the way that the camera moves, one of my favorite aspects of this film is that film within a film. Yeah. yeah. it's It looks amazing. This differentiation between the film that we're watching and the film that they're watching that takes skill mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and for it to feel so different i really appreciated it i would watch that film within a film honestly definitely it had such a good vibe and it had like a classic feel to it and then you come back to the reality and there's such a modern feel to it but with a classic sensibility in a weird way yeah, yeah. like i don't know it's just very very well done and well put together the special effects as you said a lot of imagery that will stay with you. Mm-hmm. The transformation scene with the teeth. Yeah. Yes. That was fantastic. I mean, there's just a lot to love here. And I really want to check out the sequel now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knowing it's directed by Lamberto Bava and produced by Dario Argento again. Oh, yeah. I mean, what what if it's a perfect one-two punch? Yeah. Yeah. And a ton of fun. Then we get some questions answered. Maybe. I hope so. That'd be maybe. great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. Yeah. Because <laughs> no. that I really that really is my only negative. Yeah. Is trying to figure out and piece together who the man in black is. Mm-hmm. Why he hired Ingrid? I guess I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that's the I only explanation. Don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that that's a that's a real loophole for me is trying to reconcile why this man is in the film, but he's also out here. Mm-hmm. 
And then, but then again, I mean, art's imitating life in other ways too. Yeah. So maybe that's just another part of it. Maybe. We don't know. No. Mm -mm. I don't know if they know. (laughs) 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 But, um, yeah, I, I just think this is fun and one not to miss, one to check out. That's the bottom line, really, is that it is fun. Yeah, I it think, is. Especially the uh, the in credits fake out. Yeah. That's designed for a theater audience. Oh, yeah. yeah. To react very big to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's all uh, from me. Uh, oh, rating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need a number. Sorry about that. For me, out of 10 menacing metallic masks, I am going to give demons... I got to be honest, I was going to go a 7.5, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing some of the lights in my mind again, some of these fantastic shots. I'm going to give Demons an 8. Eight menacing metallic masks out of 10. Yeah. I think that the narrative issues honestly should be worth more. Yeah. I should take away more, but there's something so pleasantly comfortable about this film, and I uh, got to gotta reward that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I will now open up the floor to you. I yeah, I think we kind of already went over everything, you know. But I I do I do want to kind of echo what you're saying about how well done everything was, and I for me this movie watching it, seeing it, and you can tell the difference in it being made, uh, or like you're saying, being giallo, and then being as opposed to being just a regular B horror movie. Like there is a little more style and a little more whatever in it, but I feel like that only helps the B horror that it is. You know what I mean? Really? And it's, there's so much fun. Like I said, the bike scene, that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just rock music with him on a motorcycle, (laughs) cutting off heads and riding around in the auditorium. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the coolest thing in the fucking... I was like, this is badass. (laughs) Like, I I was watching it, and honestly, all I could think of was... And and honestly, is Ash. I was like, dude, this is our hero. This is what we're setting up. This is what... And then when he crashes and wipes out, I was like, oh, all right, well. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, he kept going, whatever. You know what I mean? I was like, this is cool. Mm -hmm. Um. I really did like this movie. I would recommend this movie to anybody to watch if they haven't watched it. Uh, like you said, babe, it's it's not... If you're looking for something more here, that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. Turn your brain off, watch this, and just fucking enjoy it and love it. Um, because I know I did. I was like, that's fucking great. Um, so for me, on a scale of 1 to 10, menacing metallic masks, I'm also going to give demons... An eight out of ten. I did enjoy this a lot. And I I will be honest, I won't I wouldn't even mind watching this again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anytime. Like that's fun. I feel like if it, this this could be one of those movies, like you said, if you watched it as a kid, it would be one of those movies you put on just in the background and go about your stuff doing your stuff and watch it. Yeah. You are watching it, but you also got to get this put away. Laundry's got to be put away. Oh, I'm going to go set the dishes. I'll turn the TV off in here. I'll turn it on in there, and then I'll finish it while I do that. You know what I mean? Oh, I'll be on the phone, whatever, but I'm still paying attention. I'm texting somebody, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. It is one of those movies. For me, it's like 13 Ghosts. It's, you know what I mean? House on Haunted Hill. It's Dawn of the Dead 04. You know what I mean? Like, it is those movies. And I feel like this would be one of those movies. 
And it honestly, it also makes me very curious about Lamberto Bava's filmography. Yeah. I want to see Demons 2. I want to see him tackle a Giallo film like his father. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to see him do, you know, what else is there? Because this is the first film of his I've ever seen. Yeah. And it was a blast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that you guys nailed it. I think anything else um, would just be a bit redundant. I just want to draw the parallel again because the way that this made me feel in terms of kind of what I was expecting and the absolute thrill ride that it had me on um, really just makes me think of Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, that's fair. It's very reminiscent to me because, I mean, it's just <laughs> you think you're in it for one thing and it just ends up being this um, this hilarious and gross and just nonstop thrill ride again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it's just so much fun so and uh, punks yeah 80s punks yeah but (laughs) it's not the same yeah Yeah. i forgot the negative aspect of them being in this film well and (laughs) let me let me see if i can help that at all okay because i i said the exact same thing you pull them out and absolutely nothing changes but John Paul, and that's what got me thinking about the whole subversion thing, because we get it with um, Ingrid. We get it with Tony. We get it constantly with Cheryl, even. Yeah. When I said it, John Paul was like, well, yeah, he goes, I think we were supposed to think that they were going to come and save the day. Fair point. Yeah. You know, and honestly, they did the exact opposite. Yes. They released Werner. Yes. Who ended the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Yes. All right. So, yeah, very on a surface level. It's like, yeah, why the fuck are you guys here? It's like you really just wrote that about them doing coke from a coke can and yelling at each other in the car and you wanted to put that in somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then it's like, no, if you look at it that way that really plays into this theme that is so prevalent throughout the entire film. And I mean, it's risky. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> they did that. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> and I appreciate it. So I kind of wanted to pretty much mirror my score from return of the living dead, because to me, they're kind of on the shelf next to each other. Yeah. So on a scale from one to 10 menacing metallic masks, Mm-hmm. I also gave demons an eight out of ten. Wow, I'm honestly very <laughs> surprised at this. This film is not what I expected, but like you said, I'm glad. Yeah, that this is I because I'm absolutely gonna return to this for sure. Oh yeah, I mean this film obviously eight. Oh yeah. god. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Demons and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Gitter patrons. And remember... Even if something is given to you for free, that doesn't necessarily mean it comes without a cost. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Gitter patrons. Woo!
yeah. yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Aplin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhard, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Nuding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higuera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonigal, Kristen Marcy, Ori 81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie Kay, Kim Sterling, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L, Eat Cell, Heather Santeano, Abby Kopp, Crystal 831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., Dana Cook, August, Vincent Spirit, Ernest Acquisition, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazy Face Mac, and Cindy Palmer. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you when we hope you know that we couldn't mask for a better group of people. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>